Ladies and gentlemen of the Bizzlecast, welcome to the fantastically fun and I think you will find very insightful second part of my interview with Australia and Nova Stream's own Brittany Howarth, aka Brick Girl. In part one, we try to partially contain our giddiness over the amazingness that is the Wonder Woman film, uh, which is still tearing up box offices as we speak, to discuss just a few of the beautiful, touching, and just straight-up thrilling moments that we were able to process before glazing over an enjoyment of Gal Gadot and Chris Pine, orchestrated by the masterful Patty Jenkins. But now, we cut to it, folks, and discuss the fabulous and soon-to-be-Joss Whedon-made film star, Batgirl herself. Growing in popularity since the cult favorite Barbara Gordon, Batgirl manifestation in the 1960s, Adam West uh, Batman series, and uh, Adam recently passed away. Um, I watched some of the old Batman when I was young, but it made even guys like my dad, uh, who aren't normally into this stuff, watched it, and everyone you know, credits him with a lot of innovations in terms of Batman on screen, as campy as it was. It was very self-aware, so uh, he lived a very long life, but I'm still sad to lose him. And nice to see the outpouring of affection. But anyways, Barbara Gordon, there had been a Batgirl who was sort of a minor character, uh, uh, but Barbara Gordon was introduced as sort of the second and uh, more definitive version in the uh, TV series, and she was so popular that she became a comic book sensation and has had continuous comic books over and over, um, maybe with some short breaks, uh, but always coming back in strength for decades. And so uh, Batgirl has gone from one of the most consistently entertaining and three-dimensional characters in any universe to the most intriguing uh, comic book film down the pike, at least according to this Bizzle and that Brick Girl, and we're going to talk about why. Joss Whedon loves and knows how to write the crap out of incredibly strong but also complicated female superheroes, from Buffy to Black Widow to uh, now Gal Gadot's spectacular Diana Prince. And Batgirl's very ground-level approach, um, Batgirl's kind of the much more likable, funny, uh, and even sometimes more effective version of Batman, but they have a great relationship, um, even when it's stormy. Um, but she's a, a wonderful contrast to the heavy-hitter female superheroes that we have been thrilled to get, like Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman, the soon-to-be, I'm sure, great Brie Larson, uh, Captain Marvel, not to mention Black Widow, uh, Gamora. Uh, played by Zoe Saldana, or even the upcoming Wasp um, with Evangeline Lilly and sort of the uh, Ant-Man 1.5 or whatever uh, that that is coming uh, down the pike. So Batgirl is much closer in tone and sort of narrative objective to the Netflix Marvel's Defenders, uh, especially Jessica Jones, given their past near-death traumas uh, that haunt them and their complex struggle uh, inward and outward, um, to accept the past even while trying to positively shape the future. Though Jessica will laugh at this to the grave even while we know she's full of shit in her cynicism deep down, and that's why we love her. And we love Batgirl. Babs and the other Batgirls over the years have been equally complex, impulsive, and hilarious. Uh, so let Brick Girl and I show you the superhero you've always wanted, even though you didn't know it. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Batgirl. Batgirl, 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 where do you come from, where do you go, what is your scene 
Batgirl. So, people, this is how I discovered Brittany. As I mentioned earlier, I was so pumped about Joss Whedon doing a female superhero in the DC universe. Now, I I have to admit, when I first heard the news, I was very nervous because the DCEU, even though I had confidence in Wonder Woman, it hadn't come out yet. I was worried about the future of the DCEU. You know, I was just worried that he was going to get sucked into some, you know what I mean? Like, he, the fact that he doesn't think Age of Ultron was a good movie, even though I, I love Ultron, I know people are split about it, but mostly he was just upset about the meddling of uh, Marvel Studios in that film. He was forced to do so much setting up for the MCU rather than telling a story. Mm-hmm. So I initially was like, oh, I don't want this to happen again in, you know, with Warner Brothers. But I slept on it, and I did some research about Batgirl, and I realized it was the perfect fit and the perfect way for Joss Whedon to sort of reboot his comic book movie making career because she's a quote unquote smaller character, not in terms of being not amazing, but in terms of she's even more ground level than Batman um, in a lot of ways. And the fact that he, he talks about how hard it was to be had basically eight leads in Age of Ultron. Now Ooh. he has one lead. He has J.K. Simmons as Commissioner Gordon, who really needs almost no major writing for him because he'll just nail anything and he has great chemistry with with every like on-screen son and daughter that he's ever had um and i know whoever they cast as batgirl is going to be amazing and i discovered your video because i wanted to see fan reactions and i just thought yours was was the most interesting and the coolest and just the most insightful and you were so positive and you were familiar with whedon and you were really familiar with batgirl so as a two-part question when and how did you get into batgirl um, and what are your expectations for Batgirl going forward? Well, let's start with with who is Batgirl because people, some people don't know she was she was invented for the old uh, Adam West Batman live action series, and she became such a popular character that they spun off mm-hmm. her own comic book. And she, along with Wonder Woman, Batgirl is one of the only characters that have, has with female characters in any comic book um, line um, company that's had long extended runs. And she has multiple going on now from New Fifty Two leading into Rebirth and Birds of Prey, which is fucking awesome. Uh, she's major, major, major character um, and has a great relationship with Batman and the various Robins and Nightwing and so forth. So let's just start she with... definitely does. Yeah, so let's just start with when you yeah. discovered Batgirl and how that led to you identifying uh, with her so much and, and loving her character. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, I will say, though, that um, Batgirl started before the uh, 60s, oh. 60s show. It did. Not many people know that Betty Kane... Um, was the very first Batgirl, and there was actually a hyphen then between Bat and Girl, oh. and she was the niece of Batwoman at the time. Oh. So this was. So Barbara uh, Gordon was introduced in the the second. Yes, she okay. was the second Batgirl because gotcha. um, Betty Kane was retconned, um, uh, and then the '60s Batman show needed to, I think, add a, a female character for the female audience, and that's when Yvonne. Um, oh, I've forgotten her last name. But that wonderful actress, she came on to portray Barbara Gordon, and she first—that's where we first saw her. And she was a librarian, and um, she fought crime. She had a little uh, a little hat that she'd pull down, and that would be her mask. Then she was introduced into the comics, um, and she was Batgirl from then. And she's the most recognized. Barbara Gordon is the most recognized Batgirl, and that's and that's um, very easily. A lot of people think she's the first, and I guess she is the first. Ah, oh, I don't know. It just 
the first without a hyphen. Yes. <laughs> the first well-known. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I guess I first saw her with the Batman animated series oh, when I watched it with my brothers. I have two older brothers. Um, they're probably not as nerdy as I am now, but <laughs> they definitely, we definitely had a huge, huge love of superhero characters. Like we had a Batman costume that was first my eldest, uh, the older brothers, and then it went to Liam, who was the second oldest, and then it came to me. And so I was Batgirl, obviously, as soon as I put that on. Yep. Um, it's just, of course, also with the red hair, that's yes. a huge connection. Yes. So I've always been really intrigued with female characters that really took the story into their own hands, that really just, like, I don't know, just they've become awesome and strong and in the in in whatever that they put their mind to so i grew up loving mulan and pocahontas so that's like a a warrior mulan was a warrior who fought for her family not for a country not for like not to be a hero but just to save her dad and then pocahontas i love that because she was like i didn't know it at the time obviously but she's diplomatic she's trying to find peace between um two different races um, and we know historically, like, that's all messed up. But in that film, it was just a wonderful a wonderful union between races. Um, and then uh, Batgirl's always just, you know, one of those characters that when I went through younger school, middle school and all that, in the back of my mind. And then I came across her again when she was um, in one of the Arkham games. I think it was... Arkham City. Yeah, she has an awesome. She has an awesome. I don't know if it's a DLC or whatever. Um, you, you can actually go to Night. YouTube and watch like all forty-five minutes of like her dialogue and stuff from Arkham uh, Arkham City Online. Mm, and she also as um in that in those stories she's actually Oracle, but in Arkham Knight you can get the downloadable content as um, where you can play her as Batgirl. So that's when I was looking at her um her specs because you can see her specs i'm like my goodness she's uh she's a redhead she's five foot eleven um she bounces between like depending on what the artist draws her she has blue or green eyes and she's just so she just fits in with the guys but she's not she's still feminine but she's still strong and that's another thing that is so great about gal gadot um but yeah, I sat down looking at those specs. I'm like, well, heck, I've got red hair. I'm five foot eleven. I've got blue eyes. Wow, you're five oh, eleven? Holy shit! I am really tall. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I'm probably maybe just scraping underneath, but it's always fun to say five eleven. It rolls off the tongue. So I, I just want to add <laughs> that. Um, so I'm mostly familiar with the new Fifty Two Gail Simone Batgirl, which I fucking love. Um, but I also read the Batgirl Year One. Um, in 2003, which is where they sort of rebooted her after uh, sort of post-Killing Joke. There might have been other Barbara Gordon's post-Killing Joke as just Oracle, but rebooting her a little bit. Now, in, in the year one, uh, nine issues from 2003, she's actually pretty tiny, and that's part of the story is is like she can't even uh, like pass the detective test or whatever because she's so small yeah um mm. i personally would be fine with her being taller especially because if you look at some of the actresses um from emma stone who a lot of people want to see ver- uh, or my pick personally i don't yeah i don't <laughs> um I, I would i want Haley steinfeld to play her uh Haley steinfeld's like five eight five nine um and you're kidding i would accept that i yeah. would actually i like that That's yeah a good cast um and she's she's young. Haley Steinfeld's a 
hilarious, which Joss Whedon, I'm sure, knows. Um, she is a brunette, but she doesn't have super dark skin, so they could dye her hair like a deep orange mm-hmm. uh, would be awesome. I mean, who cares? I mean, Scarlett Johansson's not an orange, you know, an orange ha- hair in mm-hmm. real life, and it totally but works. But you know what's great? Right? Yeah. People have been um, actually saying, why can't Batgirl be a woman of color? And I think that's awesome because it kind of bounces off the Lego Batman film. Yes, which was amazing. And if, 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 if not because she couldn't handle it, but just because I don't think she would want to do the physical training at this point. Rosario Dawson was so awesome as Batgirl in the Lego movie, which I loved. I was, I, I, and mm. I could totally see her as Batgirl. Uh, I don't think, I think that would be a little intense. And because of her uh, very important Bob. role, on the Defenders and other Marvel stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. And Haley Steinfeld, although Jewish on her father's side, is like Filipina and other stuff on her mother's side, which is why she mm-hmm. has an exotic look. So she is technically a, a person of color. She would be an amazing um, role. I think she'd be very good as a young bad girl. But another another woman that, um, uh, actress that people were looking at was uh, a lady from The Hundred. Her character's name is Raven Reyes, and her real name is Lindsay Morgan. Yep. She plays a really cool character in that. She's an engineer, mm-hmm. and she's quite um, – she's very strong. She's very uh, opinionated and stuff, and she actually, <laughs> funnily enough, she struggles with um, with losing the – she loses the ability to walk. She does get shot in the spine in this in this show as well, which I just remembered then. Um, I would love to more see Barbara Gordon as Oracle guiding a new Batgirl on the scene. But, I mean, either way, I win. I win. I'm getting a Batgirl film. So, so just really quick, Bizzlecast listeners, there's a very famous Alan Moore storyline called The Killing Joke, which has been used mm-hmm. in all sorts of ways. But basically, the Joker in a very offhanded way that could have been handled differently invades the Gordons, kidnaps Jim Gordon and just, you know, shoots a Barbara Gordon in a way that breaks her spine and makes her paralyzed for a long period of time. But the way they've rebooted her in her sort of post Oracle life, I think there's going to be three phases in the movie. I think there's going to be a little Barbara Gordon before getting shot. I think she will get shot because I do think that's a compelling storyline. And then the second part will be her being just Oracle um, uh, behind the scenes, helping you know Black Canary perhaps or whoever, and then eventually becoming Batgirl. I also think there's a scenario where they just ignore the Killing Joke and she's just Barbara Gordon being a badass. Um, but w- w- what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Well, they well they could do that um, and piggyback off the more recent storyline, which I think it started with the artist Babs Ty, and then she has a um, almost like a motorbike jacket. Uh, she's more purple in her in her colorings. Mm-hmm. It's a lot more um, poppy, pop colors and stuff, and it's really good. It's brought it really into the um, 21st century. Mm-hmm. But what I was just um, doing, if you give me two secs, I'm going to grab a comic book, which yeah, um, has almost all the Batgirl things so I can reference. Awesome. Okay, so I'm back. I have a, uh, a hard copy of Batgirl Celebration of 50 Years. Mm-hmm. So... It ranges from um, Barbara Gordon to to Cassie Kane to Stephanie. Yep. Um, I think she's also Stephanie Kane, actually. Yep. And, and we will just really quick, and before you keep going, we're, it's definitely mm-hmm. a Barbara Gordon Batgirl that we're getting, but that does not mean that Joss and whoever won't integrate other Batgirls into her character. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, and um, but yeah, the Killing Joke is a huge is a huge thing and a huge part of uh, Barbara Gordon's history. So if they did ignore it in the, f- in the film that they're making, they would have to address it in a later film if they do another. Um, if, they, if they didn't address it, I would assume that this film would be before BVS. 
because I feel like the way that Bruce Wayne is now, he's seen some awful stuff. He's seen Jason Todd murdered. Um, and I think that happened around the same time as Barbara Gordon getting shot. So I think that would be very interesting mm. to have um, Barbara Gordon as Batgirl set before Batman versus Superman. Mm. And then um, Barbara Gordon as Oracle afterwards. Mm-hmm. But there's definitely like the thing that around the killing joke storyline is that if, if any of your listeners have heard of the um, women in refrigerator syndrome, it's quite, it's a trope that's used sometimes mm. across comic books. Wait a minute. Like, are you saying that females in comic books don't always have agency and are just part of men's storylines and sort of kept on ice, if you will? Kept on ice? Oh, oh, wow. I respect that. <laughs> that was a very cool pun. <laughs> Hey. Which uh, are unlike most of my puns, which are sort of old Jewish man uncool. I get it from my dad. <laughs> Much love to Papa Bizzle. Go ahead. I mean, if we continue doing this, we're going to start bringing up Arnold Schwarzenegger ice puns, and I think that's going to be a dangerous territory. <laughs> um, the freeze. Which, by the way, Batman and Robin ruined or almost ruined tons of careers, but we, we don't need to talk about that. Batgirl is in that one as yep. well. That was Alicia Silverstone. Um, it's not her fault. She's a decent actress, ooh. but it's not a good, not a good movie. Mm. So wait, wait, let's let's bookmark Women in a Refrigerator because I want to talk. Yeah. Um, if we ha- also if we have time for CW about the women of Arrow and Flash, it's very problematic. But uh, g- keep going on uh, on Fifty Years of Batgirl. There's so many different people who are in the role of Batgirl. So if if you look at it, we have. Um, the niece of a vigilante back in the, gee, I think it's in the 40s. you got the daughter of a commissioner, which is Barbara Gordon, in the 60s. You have Cassie Kane. Gee, when did she come about? I can't even remember. She is the daughter of, assass- of an assassin. Then you have Stephanie, who was the daughter of uh, Clue Master, a villain. She became spoiler to ruin all his plans and help Robin and Batman. And then finally, the not-so-well-known one, um, also Huntress is in there. She picks up the role as well. Yes, love Bertinelli, yeah. <laughs> so she picks it up. But funnily enough, she can't handle it. Mm-hmm. She can't. She, wait, so who, she, Helena? Helena, she can't. She can't handle it. She can't it, handle almost she's, anything. She's crazy. She, she can. She's really good. And I love the dynamics between her and Barbara Gordon yes. in The Birds of Prey. Oh, so good. But in, um, I think it's the comic book series No Man's Land or something, mm-hmm. where pretty much the Bat family have to try and win back Gotham territory from the the gangs, like Two-Face and Penguin and stuff. Helena Bertinelli dons the Batgirl outfit, um, and she – this is after – she's the, not immediately after, but a little while after Barbara Gordon's being shot and becomes Oracle – Helena Bertinelli is left to face Two-Face and a whole lot of crooks, a whole lot of crooks, and hmm. she just can't. She loses the territory, and Batman is pissed, mm-hmm. so angry. And she gets angry. She's like, well, how dare you leave me with all that to do? And she um, she pretty much says, I can't follow your orders, Bruce, because they're just insane. I can't do that. So she loses the mantle, mm-hmm. and it gets passed on to Cassie Kane, who is mm-hmm. the daughter of the assassin. And at that time, Cassie couldn't speak. But that was that origin story in a nutshell. Interesting. Um, Interesting. Not many people know about, oh, what's her name? Um, Gage Radcliffe. Mm-hmm. That's her last name. And she she's the only Batgirl with powers. She can teleport and I think she has healing as well. Yeah. 
We don't need that. Yeah, and that was that was before Barbara Gordon came back as Batgirl. That was the the last one. So okay, I want to talk about the movie, and then we'll dive into the comics. Mm-hmm. So it seemed to come out of nowhere. Joss's announcement, you know, at the I think the Guardian screening or whatever that he was going to do Batgirl. But here's what we know to be true now that make it make much more sense. A he had already been secretly brought on by DC with Zack Snyder's blessing to help with Justice League, with writing mm. in, in some of the later production. Now, it's very sad. Guys, if you don't know, I, I'm not a big fan of Zack Snyder as a director, but by all accounts, he's a great person, and he had a tragedy in his family, which I'm not going to talk about, but you can look it up online. And he basically wanted Joss to come in and do the final 10% or whatever, which includes some writing and some reshoots and editing and so forth. And so they had brought Joss in uh, as a consultant and a producer. And I think like his one condition was like, I want to do a movie Batgirl. And my guess is based on his Marvel experience, I don't think it really matters where in time it takes place because it's going to be very loosely connected, at least at first, to the BVS universe, which is great Mm. um, because Joss does not want to have to do a lot of setting up. Now, it seems inevitable, and God, I hope they're doing a Birds of Prey movie in which she'll be in, or at least part of the uh, Gotham City Sirens. Um, I, I mean, you you could literally have the Gotham City Sirens versus the Birds of Prey, which would be unbelievable. And then at the end, they team up against yes. the greater evil. That would be perfection. Absolutely. And if there's one thing that everyone agrees on, I think, it seems like the coolest part of Suicide Squad was Harley Quinn. And she's mm. a great up-and-coming actress, I think. And so that will be cool to, to preserve that going in the future. Up-and-coming? Margot Robbie? She's Australian royalty. Excuse me. Well, I, just because just she's young. <laughs> and I, I, that was more a compliment in the sense of, I think her best stuff I'm is still ahead of you. her as a lead. She's yeah. been a sort of co-lead or a lot of support. You know, she was in Tarzan. Um, she was awesome in Wolf of Wall Street. Um, was she in Kong? Skull Island? Um, was she? No, that was... Um, it was Hiddleston and Brie Larson, Brie Larson. who's going to be yeah, Captain so. Marvel, actually. Um, Captain Marvel. Yes, uh, which would be Good really, help. really hard to, to uh, live up to Wonder Woman, but I, they've got a great writing team, and Brie Larson's you know, Academy Award winner should be great. Um, but the Wonder Woman tie-in is we know Joss Whedon was one of the first people to see the final cut of Wonder Woman months ago. So I think he saw Wonder Woman... Talked to Zack Snyder, saw that it was headed in a positive direction, loved Wonder Woman, loved the idea of doing Batgirl, and he saw enough from Warner Brothers that they admitted, look, we like some things about the DCEU, Zack Snyder's our guy for now, but we're headed in a slightly different direction, and Joss, we want you to be part of that new direction, or at least phase two, as Marvel would say. Mm. And so with all of that information... I am even, especially having seen Wonder Woman now, and clearly she seems like she's going to be the field leader, if nothing else, in Justice League. Yeah. I, I think Joss being an uber-feminist who arguably invented the first modern female superhero in Buffy in the late 90s, mm. um, I, I have extremely high hopes for this movie, and I hope it's like a $120 million movie that's not super blown out and is sort of a somewhat smaller story. 
Um, I'm going to throw this to you, Brittany, but I just want to say the reason I love Batgirl, having read a bunch of it the last few weeks, is because it's so well-written. She's so hilarious. She's one of the most three-dimensional comic book characters I've ever read, and I am such a fan of Jessica Jones, both on screen and in the comics. And there's a lot of similarities in the way they narrate their own lives in the way that they're very hard on themselves. They're very human. They're very vulnerable while being strong at the same time. They're their own worst critics. Um, but they find the strength and just the way that they narrate, you know, I love as much as the dialogue is great in the Batgirl comics. I love her sort of journaling of her life, if you will, um, that Mm. goes on. I think I agree. I love that um, that Barbara is this like she's just so human. She's just so down to earth. But one thing I like about her is she's also stubborn. She's also a bit yes. stubborn because back in her like some of her first few comics, it was um, she wanted to be a police officer. She wanted to follow in her dad's footsteps. And Jim's like, no. Have you seen Gotham? Are you insane? Yep. So that's how she um, she ended up getting a degree in library science and stuff and also going against her dad's wishes and kind of becoming a vigilante to kind of get it was almost like a bit of a haha dad you can't you can't do anything about this totally he didn't know obviously but i love that it's not a daddy issue thing it's not a rebellion against him it's just she's inspired by him and by his relationship to batman who by the way goes from trying to keep her out of the crime fighting business to relying on her photographic memory and computer hacking skills among other things yes yes uh that's that's another thing that i really love about barbara and i think that's because um just the the respect the amount of respect i had for that character really grew when she um when she had been this hero for so long was uh she actually hung up the mantle before she was was shot so she wasn't back girl around the time she was shot and then she decided she was going to continue her work that she she had almost lost a part of herself and she needed to find it again and so she went on that journey to become oracle to find a way how she could help um, help anyone and everyone in the in the Justice League universe and the DC universe, and it and I, I ah, it's just amazing how it's this story of growth of like she actually st- says in now I've read it recently so it's up there with one of my favorite comics like she didn't mean anything outside of the Batman banner or separated from Jim Gordon like the paparazzi only cared that she was shot because she was Jim Gordon's daughter. And Batman, um, she was only like a formidable or feared vigilante because she was a part of the Bat family. And so she came out of this incident. She came from the hospital with all this paparazzi thinking, I'm not, I'm no one at the moment. I'm no one without Batman or Jim Gordon. And that's why Oracle is so amazing because she makes herself something more. And uh, that just says so much about the writers and so much about her character as well. Yeah. And I'll say, initially, I was rolling my eyes when I realized she was going to have some romantic stuff with, with Robin, but it's almost <laughs> like the Diana-Steve Trevor relationship. I mean, she's it's totally really classic. She's totally um, in charge, I'm, even while being vulnerable and not sure about her feelings and being somewhat immature at times. Uh, you know, like she's totally calling the shots for the most part. And, and, and the stuff that mm-hmm. I've read involving Robin and or Nightwing. And I think, um, yeah, Dick Grayson is the is the Robin we're referring to as well. It's um, although in the games they changed it to Tim Drake, which was interesting. I didn't I didn't 
catch that, uh, understand that. Um, but the relationship between Dick Grayson and Barbara is really interesting because it's it's sort of puppy love. It's like they've grown up together. Barbara's almost the girl next door for Dick Grayson, but Dick Grayson is the popular guy who everyone likes, and he uses that to his advantage. And I think it comes to the point where Dick Grayson loves love, so he can't. I don't think he could ever really settle down. I mean, he's been with Starfire as well. Starfire is another one of his huge uh, like relationships as well. And so I think that's just where their relationship, Dick and Barbara's relationship, falls apart because Barbara would be for something that's for longevity almost, but Dick Grayson, I don't think he can settle. And I think that's a really interesting dynamic in how much they both respect and love each other, but it can't go forward because they're both looking for something different. So, I hated The Killing Joke. Really? Um, I just thought it was a poor comic. And I think Alan Moore is overrated. We don't need to talk about that right now. I know everyone thinks he's a god. If you read his comments (laughs) on women and politics, he's not particularly progressive. I do like V for Vendetta, but um, I like the movie better than the comic. And he hated the movie, apparently. He hates all the movies that are adapted from his stuff, so he claims. But um, I don't like when there's a Joker bat story. I, I like the, the Heath Ledger thing where it's, he's just lying to everyone, including himself, and it's just a mystery. It was a sob story that was predictable. Um, I thought the art was okay. The, the almost killing of Batgirl for no particular reason was stupid. Uh, the joke that made Batman famously laugh at the end wasn't even a good joke. Um, the, you know, did he kill Joker or not thing is just stupid. They should have just killed him or not, in my opinion. Um, but as I teased before, I think an origin story of her returning to being Batgirl after recover, after being Oracle and recovering physically is actually more interesting than the more typical origin story of how I became a superhero because I am so sick up until Wonder Woman of origin stories because Marvel is shoving them down our throat because we, you know, as well, Man of Steel falls in this category because we need to have explained to us how Doctor Strange became Doctor Strange or how Ant-Man became Ant-Man. It, mm. it, origin stories are best when they are used to tell a really interesting story that happens to involve an origin or, or that happens midway through. Like the th- first Thor movie, which I like more than most people, because the stuff on Earth with Natalie Portman and Kat Dennings and Stellan Skarsgård is so fantastic. But Thor is already Thor at that point in terms of his power, so they can just tell another, a secondary origin story. You know? Mm. Wonder Woman, yes, we see the kids in the training, but like, I know you're not a big Star Wars fan, but I like that in Rogue One. One, they just told the story of young Jin Erso very quickly, and then immediately we meet her, you know, somewhat far into her As, smuggling yeah. career, right? And so forth. Mm. And so I think having the, the killing joke happen or something similar and having her quote unquote origin story in the first movie be a sort of secondary origin story would be a great choice. I don't know if that made any mm. sense and or you agree or disagree. No, I actually, I think that's quite interesting because I never thought of this before, but Barbara, technically, she has two origin stories, when she became Batgirl and when she became Oracle. And when she became Batgirl, she actually uh, stopped Mothman from kidnapping or killing Bruce Wayne from from memory. That was was the situation. So, it was at a masquerade ball and Barbara thought it would be funny to, to mess with her dad and go dressed as Batman. And that's why she was in the, the outfit. I and then she was that. like, oh, no, this guy's going to hurt Bruce Wayne. I've got to jump in and stop this. Yep. 
And that's how she actually actually started. That was her first origin. And then her second origin, um, I can't, I don't know the chronologic, chronology, the order. Yeah. <laughs> I think she's Oracle for a year and then she gets experimental surgery. Um, mm. yeah. So that's the new 52 yes. version. But the um, the classic one, I'm not sure if it has this comic book that I've read, read recently where she's discovering herself and building herself up from from the terrible attack. But you'll actually find Oracle first appears in Suicide Squad. And it's as simple. It's just one panel. I think it's Suicide Squad number 26 or 27. Really classic comic. And it's a simple panel of, hello, can you hear me? My name is Oracle. And it just teases her there. And she comes in and she helps all the, all the uh, Task Force X, which, uh, which is the Suicide Squad. And she helps them and Amanda Waller. And then um, from there, she becomes the head of Birds of Prey. So she has the different origin stories. And I think that's, that's interesting because she, she thinks she knows who she is. It's taken from her. And then she finds herself again. And she finds herself a new way. And, and that's... I think that's the really strong point of her character. And if they just focus even just on her character, uh, well, like how they've done in Wonder Woman, it's going to be such a good film. Yeah, I th- you know, when I talk about movies, like the best superhero movies, uh, Joss Whedon, for example, or Captain America, Winter Soldier, Dark Knight, they usually uh, f- uh, follow the Shakespearean five-act structure. Um, and you know, Joss Whedon has done Shakespeare in the past, and, and you know his narratives are, are <laughs> much more um, not complex, but they're much deeper with more strands than than you would realize if you're just a casual fan. Which is part of his success, and why hardcore nerds love Joss Whedon, and mainstream people love the Avengers because it works on so many levels, right? And I think mm. Patty Jenkins did this with Wonder Woman. If you know nothing about comic books or like that, you have, you've only seen, you know, Iron Man or the Avengers or the Dark Knight, you're still going to love Wonder Woman. But, you know, I think comic book fans are loving the movie as much or more than the mainstream audience who's loving the movie. Um, which, by the way, is tied uh, on Rotten Tomatoes and Cinema Score with a Dark Knight and Iron Man 1 as the highest rated comic book movies ever at the moment. You're kidding. No. Wow. As an A on CineScore, which is very telling because that's what people vote on, on on Fandango and so forth right after they see the movie. You know what I can't wait to see? Yes. Um, I think it's uh, Cinema Sins on YouTube. Okay. When they do like everything is wrong with the film. Oh, yes. And usually they find like a really good film and they go through it and they're like, I, do, I just don't know what to pick here. Yes. I want them to do that. And even honest trailers, I think that's going to be hilarious. Yeah. The people will pick on the villains, but I, it, that didn't bother me at all. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, so anyway, so with Joss's five-act structure, I, I guess w- what I was proposing earlier was act one would be the original Barbara Gordon. Act two would be Oracle, and then acts three through five would be getting back on the streets and, you know, being the new 52 or whenever the sort of Mm -hmm. post-Oracle Barbara is. I think that would be really compelling. And and knowing Joss, he's not going to do a straight-ahead origin story. That's just not how he operates. I would worry that might be too much in one story, though, because I think... There's a lot if if they did focus on her just being Oracle and her guiding and mentoring like Stephanie Brown or um, Cassandra Kane uh, as they step into the new role or even just like um, her helping Black Canary because there's just some powerful moments of leadership and guidance that Barbara Gordon can give like when she's trying to stop um, the latest uh, forgotten like Charlie Charlie that's it Charlie Gage Radcliffe when she's trying to stop this teleporter from being Batgirl. She says she hands Charlie a, um, a little capsule 
and in it is a bullet from her spine. And she says to Charlie, look, there's a lot of consequences that come with this this role. So it's kind of like she's taking a nicer way to say, you really have to take this seriously or not do it at all. Because Bruce Wayne's tactic is, no, you can't do it. Go away, go away, go away. And then the person keeps trying until they prove themselves. Yes. Whereas Barbara was like, this is what happened to me. This is serious business. If you're going to do this, you've you've got to give everything. Yep. And I think there's some really powerful moments that can be taken from that, from Oracle. So if I know it's like the Batgirl is going to be Barbara Gordon, it but is. just to have flashbacks. Yes. Flashbacks. That, no, I think you nailed it. I, yeah. I, I think mm-hmm. when I said act one, act two, I don't mean they're going to be as long as the other acts, just sort of how it's broken down. I, I think, mm-hmm. look, I, I'm a Joss Whedon fanboy. I've seen everything he's ever done multiple times. Um, I, I think we might see her starting as Oracle with her having flashbacks to pre-Oracle and maybe the Killing Joke or whatever, and then she'll get the surgery and she'll start kicking ass or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no way we're not getting some Oracle. I just don't think it's going to be Barbara Gordon the whole time as Oracle and some other Batgirl. I mean, they're definitely yeah. sticking to the new 52 with the movies and, and even the TV shows. It's just how it's going to be. Um, and I think, yeah. based on what I can tell, the new 52 reboot of Barbara Gordon is the best of any of the reboots out there. Um, and this is from talking to DC fans and other people who aren't even necessarily huge fans of Batgirl uh, who are very critical of the Superman and Batman re-envisionings and so forth. I, I think they've really nailed it. it and it's one of the most... The, I've, I've read, I think, the first 12 issues of, of the new 52 Batgirl, like the first two graphic novels by Gail Simone. And I, I, I think the material is all there. And Joss Whedon just takes it, puts mm-hmm. a Whedon touch on it. Um, and uh, I, I think it's going to be a great film. I do think, yeah, it will. it is going to start tying into the DCEU um, at, at some point. But I know Joss is going to want to make a movie, his movie, whether it's Haley Steinfeld, which I'm hoping for, or someone else awesome. There's a lot of great characters. I think Chloe Moritz is, is too famous and has already done this before, so I don't think we're going to see Chloe Moritz do it, although she could certainly handle it. Mm. Um, but uh, Along the lines yes. of the New 52, is yeah. um, I'm probably on the opposite end. I didn't take to it that well okay. when they came in with Babs Tar, like pop culture kind of really strong um, popping colors and stuff. I love that. However, I will asterisk that and say that uh, Batgirl Volume 3, Death of the Family, was so incredible. That's what I hear. Because it's like you finally yet. see yeah, Batgirl facing off with Joker and she's she is so full of emotion and anger and just like she wants to take revenge but she knows she has to be better than that. But then it overtakes us in some points. And, ah, it's incredible. It really is an amazing, the best story to come out of the new 52 Batgirl. Yes. I have heard that, and I just finished volume two, and I'm literally, when I get a moment next week, going to my favorite comic book store in Philadelphia, which is actually a pretty famous store called Amalgam, which is owned by a woman of color. It's the first big uh, comic book store in the country owned by a woman of color. Is she the one that's on the Spider-Man cup? No, Iron Man. Iron Man. Riri Williams. Is she on that cover? Maybe. Yeah. I think I did an article about this. Um, She's the... Yeah, so she was actually um, drawn into one of Riri. She's almost, she's been like immortalized. Um, let me try and see if I can find the, so it's Ironheart, Riri Williams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but this is actually, she's she's put on the front, Invincible Iron Man the variant edition. So it's one of the variants and it has um, Riri and the comic book store owner drawn and they're having a copy together and there's Iron Man in the background. You know being what? I think, swarmed. I think you're right. 
So variant covers can sometimes cause a lot of controversy as yes. well. So there had been um, a cover for the Invisible Iron Man number one. And Riri Williams is meant to just be a 15-year-old girl who is super intelligent and is going to MIT, MIT I think. Mm-hmm. But they've drawn her in such a sexualized manner that so many people were just like, why are you doing this? This is unnecessary. This is ridiculous. And it's the whole idea, I guess, of, of body image. And this is one of the things that is damaging. Because if you're a 15-year-old girl and you look at that and you think, I should look like that, it's it's damaging. Um but when they redid it, they made her so fun and childlike where she's sitting there with headphones in with a beautiful um, curly hair and they fixed that up. But it's not the only time that that's happened. It actually happened as well with um, an unpublished variant cover of Batgirl number 41. Hmm. We know that the the more recent Batgirl comic book covers are so full of color and, and it's just wonderful. It's It's younger well even younger than young adult it's you know teens early teens can read this comic book quite easily and there's nothing too distressing about these new these new um stories that are coming out however this this variant cover that's come through has the joker uh in this black page he's reaching over batgirl in this new uniform and he's painting a smile of blood on a terrified barbara gordon's face the image is incredible, like absolutely not necessary for this comic book run, but it perfectly um, creates the scene of what Barbara went through, of what probably haunts her at night when she when she has these horrible dreams and nightmares. So it's it does it sends shivers down your spine, and it was done by the artist Raphael Albuquerque, and it yeah heavily hints the Killing Joke heavily. But, uh, yeah, so that, that was a bit of a tangent. No, that no, was that was fine. I, I actually that, that ma- ma- brought up one more thing I wanted to say about Batgirl. Um, and then mm-hmm. maybe we'll move on to our final segment, which is I like that she's cute and perky, but they specifically aren't making her like look like Wonder Woman or whatever. And because no, it's just so undistracting and relatable. And that's why I think someone like Haley Steinfeld will be great because Haley Steinfeld, when she gets done up and she's going to award ceremonies, is beautiful. But if you guys have seen The Edge of 17 or even her role in Pitch Perfect 2, they, she looks like such a normal girl. And I think that needs to mm. be a big part of the casting is someone who is, yes, attractive, but mostly charismatic and cute in personality, uh, as well as feisty, funny, smart, self aware. Uh, stubborn and all of those qualities that we've been talking about. And it's across a lot of different characters is that we forget that a character isn't a stereotype. A character isn't just strong. A character isn't just boisterous yep. or quiet or anything like that. There are so many different layers to people yep. and um, they're not just introverted or extroverted. Uh, if you wanted to have a look at um, the Skype chat, I've actually sent you through that picture. It's uh, of the variant cover with Joker and Batgirl. Ooh. Wait, Oh, that's why my icon was bouncing. Oh, I see it. Oh, God, it's disturbing. It's very disturbing, but it is an amazing... I think it's an amazing piece of art, and it's... it's. When is this When is this from? Um, let me have a look. It was a Batgirl of Burnside um, variant cover for Batgirl number 41, so I don't know when that was. I don't think it was too long ago, like 2015 earliest, but um, yeah, Raphael Albuquerque, he actually... Um, he apologized. He was like, my intentions, this is a quote from him. My intention was never to hurt or upset anyone through my art. For that reason, I have recommended to DC that the variant cover be pulled. So he actually had it removed himself. Yeah. It reminds me, I guess this came after. It reminds me a little bit of the scene early on in the dark Knight where he's 
holding Maggie Gyllenhaal, um, who was playing uh, Rachel Dawes, and kind of the, the horrified look on her face. Although Maggie Gyllenhaal is, is defiant there in a way they could have done in this frame that they just screwed up um just a quick shout out people um if you don't have a great comic book store a great way to read comics if you have an ipad is through comiXology that has dc marvel tons of indie comics you save a little money you save a little paper it's not quite the same great experience as having the comic book in your hand which is why i still buy paper comics as well but it was a way that you know while i was overseas i was able to get through a lot of comic books i wouldn't have normally gotten through and you get all the variant covers and all of that stuff without having to buy all of them Mm. um so it's also really good because you can zoom in on these and you can have a really close look at the art that these wonderful artists have put into these comics yes and they have something called guided view where you see the whole page and then it zooms into each of the frames with like a little transition and it makes it more like like a moving picture show as you're reading the Mm. comic which is really cool Like, like a motion comic yeah like a motion comic exactly so okay so why don't we finish on television i would like to say just one more thing about that image it is um it is terrifying, and although we would love to have Barbara Gordon, I guess, be a bit more defiant in this almost kidnapping scenario, this image that was created, I think we forget that heroes can be terrified, heroes can be vulnerable, and I think this is almost her kryptonite, this is her weakness. She was tormented and destroyed in this comic, really, and I think you can't get over that, and I think that's okay to to have Barbara Gordon all of a sudden even if it's a few years down the track to be defiant and unhurt by it emotionally, I think is just, it's, that's unrealistic to me. I don't care if there's like kryptonite and magic and aliens. As soon as you have someone just, I guess, be no longer affected by something so traumatic that Barbara Gordon had gone through. I think as soon as she is no longer affected, I kind of think that's not you can't do that because that also creates unrealistic expectations for the the, for the poor people that experience PTSD, um, no matter what the traumatic experience is in their life. To expect to get over it so quickly or even to get over it at all is is because it will hurt. It will it will always hurt. It's just finding ways to live with it, I guess. And I think that's good to show that heroes have this weakness that they do get PTSD as well, yeah. and it's not it's not something to hold you back um, i guess that was what i'm trying to say and this is an amazing transition which i'm just going to assume you did on purpose which is <laughs> my comic book hero um jessica jones the, the whole first season of the show is about her po- her ptsd and dealing with it on an emotional level but also on a plot level and I think it was in the beginning of the new 52 Batgirl when she's first getting back, it, someone points a gun at her chest or whatever, and she freezes yeah. and a cop dies because she freezes. Mirror yeah. Man? Yeah. Mirror Man, I think? Yeah, Mirror Man, wh- which they used to great effect in terms of shining a mirror on her and then later him um, mm. physically and obviously metaphorically and how she freezes up the same way that uh, Kristen Ritter as Jessica Jones needs to you know, deal with a lot to, to the point where uh, she's able to deal with, with a, a guy who kidnapped her, controlled her, raped her, and all sorts of things. Mm. And the visual way they did that, it sent chills down my spine. I was terrified with her as yes. she walked into that hotel room, yep. and the shadows almost curled around her like someone reaching for her. Mm-hmm. And it's it was terrifying, but it just was beautifully shown 
like like you would imagine like you'd have that fear that someone's around the corner and they showed that with the shadow moving the reflections that when she feels like someone is is getting close to her and amazing um representation i think the uh the episode where she voluntarily becomes kilgrave's temporary um kidnapped i don't know what at at the the house Mm. of horrors um that he's made for them at her old house is one of the best episodes of television of all time. One of the best Mm. subplots uh, in a comic book story of all time. And what that does in terms of being the middle of the season and you're trying to figure out what her plan is going to be. And you think like Trish and the other characters that she's just crazy and given up without realizing she has a higher plan in terms of trying to get Kilgrave to trust her enough so she can get close enough to do what she's got to do is just Mm. amazing. That's why I think, yeah, Batgirl confronting the Joker, I'm really pumped for because it, it is a similar thing. And I think that was mm. one of the problems of the killing joke is, you know, you get the, the equivalent of the Jessica Jones, you know, rape by Kilgrave. In this case, Batgirl getting shot by the Joker and then nothing until they, you know, reboot Barbara Gordon or whatever. The problem mm. is... I think, you know, no one really liked Jared Leto's uh, Joker. I'm kind of sick of the Joker at this point, which is part of why I don't like uh, the killing joke. Um, it would be an interesting angle, you know, for especially if they do do this, like the killing joke in her backstory. But I don't know if you agree. I, I don't think they need to do that, at least in the first uh, background movie. I think having, um, actually bringing up Jared Leto, I, <laughs> I didn't, he didn't scare me. And he didn't scare yeah. me because he didn't actually scare anyone else on the screen either. Yep. And in thinking that, I – and I think this is going to be harsh and one of the harshest things I've said, but I don't think he's he'll be able to live up to the intensity that things like the killing joke, death of the family, death in the family create yes. because it didn't work for yeah. me at all. To be fair, he he says that they only use like ten percent of what they filmed, and it was like they had promised him a much bigger role and a much more three dimensional portrayal, and they ended up using what mm-hmm. he considered to be the weakest stuff. Again, I, I also think Jesse Eisenberg gets a bad rap for BVS. I think that was bad writing and direction. I don't blame Jesse Eisenberg. Most people disagree with me. You know what's interesting about Jesse Eisenberg, though? Yep. I didn't like him as Luther, but take that name away and make him the Riddler, yep. and that movie becomes ten times better. Dude, that scene in the museum at the fundraiser or whatever, where he starts getting a little schizophrenic and talking to himself, mm-hmm. was one of my favorite parts of the movie. Very underrated. And yeah, if they had run with that as the Riddler, even a new villain that's based on Riddler or Joker or whatever, yeah, I, I called him a uh, the neurotic Jewish version of the Joker, basically, in that, that movie. <laughs> <laughs> and this is coming from a neurotic that's a Jew. That's description. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I agree with you. They, they shouldn't have made him Lex Luthor. Um, but um, yeah, so we, we will be keeping tabs on this. Um, and uh, I, I, I would love to get you back on ne- whenever we hear the Batgirl casting news. Oh, let's let's finish Batgirl on that. And I want to talk about CW Netflix real quick. So who would mm-hmm. be, you mentioned your pick. Or do you have any other um, actors uh, in mind um, for Batgirl uh, that, that you'd like to see, whether it's realistic or unrealistic? Gee, um, I really do like the idea of Haley Seinfeld as Batgirl, not so much Oracle. I think there was a really wonderful portrayal of Oracle from the television series Birds of Prey, which not many people know about, and a lot of people slam. They think it's too corny. I love it because it has wonderful themes throughout it. So the actress from 
Birds of Prey, which I'll I'll quickly look up. And while I do that, you can I sent you a picture of one of yes, my um, posters see. from Jessica Jones. Yeah, uh, that's a wonderful Brisbane artist from Schofield Designs. Awesome. He's ah. Uh, Amazing work. Yeah. Um, and by the way, season two of Jessica Jones, we're all, they're not saying, but we all know, we're going to get Trish Walker as Hellcat, as her like sidekick, which is going to be so awesome. I cannot wait. Oh, my God. Oh, she's finally becoming Hellcat, is she? Yeah. They, they, they keep either, they, they're, they're acknowledging it by denying it. Um, okay. There's already scenes on the set of them getting arrested after what looks like a fight. So I, I think for sure. I mean, you know, she's like learning Krav Maga in season one and all that stuff. Uh, yeah. I think we'll see her as, you know, she'll have a gun, but she can also fight. Jessica will be taking the lead, but Trish will be there like watching her back or whatever. Um, mm. and, and, you know, some sort of logistical and moral support as we see in the first season. I just, like I said, when, I, I love Breaking Bad and I just thought the casting of Kristen Ritter was so perfect. And I was hooked that first episode. I mean, that's one of the greatest pilots of any show ever. When, like you said, she goes to the hotel and she sees poor Hope chained, not like, not like she's psychologically chained to the bed. Mm. You know, Kilgrave has commanded her not to leave. And by the way, as to your Jared Leto comment, David Tennant, who's one of the most charismatic and dashing, you know, and talented actors out there, is the opposite of the Joker. And yet he's so scary. You know, you don't need to look I, and act so <laughs> crazy like the Joker to be scary. Mm. He's terrifying as Kilgrave. I started watching that film thinking, David Tennant, you're kidding? Because I knew him from Doctor Who. Yeah. So, I was just thinking, I don't know if he can play a villain. This is ridiculous. Who some people say is the best Doctor Who, by the way. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, he is up there. He's definitely... Um, Donna is the best companion. Yeah. Just saying. Yeah. Um, but as for who I would cast as Oracle, I found the actress name uh, Dinah Mayer. Mm-hmm. So she she played Oracle on the Birds of Prey. But other than that, I reckon it would be really nice if they went for someone who wasn't really well known. And that's what Joss Whedon said, which is what the main yeah. reason. You know, I wrote a blog piece about why I think Haley Steinfeld should be it. But Joss Whedon claims it's going to be an unknown. I think they're going to settle on a middle ground. Um, Haley Steinfeld is certainly known, but she's not like Scarlett Johansson or Jennifer Lawrence level. So, and she doesn't actually have any movies booked at the moment. Um, I, I think she's in college. She's like 19. Um, so she's not an unknown, but the studio might say, look, Joss, it doesn't need to be a huge star, but get someone sort of young and up and coming that has a little bit of visibility. So, uh, but well, he claims it's going to be mean- an unknown. So. I, I know someone who has uh, who has red hair who who kind of who knows the Batgirl lore a little bit you know mm-hmm. she's 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 pretty pretty easygoing I mean she might be Australian but I'm sure she could do <laughs> a really good American accent who might be really good for this role just uh, do you do you do you have a photographic memory <laughs> and mad hacking skills I can pretend <laughs> all right it's called acting. Yeah, exactly. Oh, oh. So this will be really my Batgirl question. I do want to talk TV quick. Um, who would be your ideal Batgirl villain? Villain? Oh, gee. Not actor, um, just character. <laughs> I'm gonna. Um, this is this is probably more a joke, a bit classic, but Mothman. Okay. Would be hilarious. Um, I think even Two Face would be great. I know he's more a Batman villain, but just because uh, she's the daughter of the Commissioner, and to go up against someone like Two Face, who is meant to be an outstanding DA and lawyer and all that, who's who's so close to her dad, I would assume, like, all the time. Imagine if he was Batgirl's villain. 
I don't think that's far-fetched at all um, because, and I wanted to bring this up before, mm-hmm. which is the DCEU is clearly carving out a sub um, uh, Batverse, basically, because both BVS and Suicide mm-hmm. Squad did way better financially than they should have based on the reviews and the reception. Um, and that's because people love Batman. Now, a few months ago, it seemed like everything was falling apart. Ben Affleck went to, had to go to rehab. He gave up the director's job. He wasn't committing to playing Batman again in the future. But they brought in a really, really good and well-respected director whose name I'm blanking on to take over the Batman movie. And I think Affleck is going to get better and is going to get re-excited about the whole thing. And bringing in Joss Whedon into the Justice League world as well as Batgirl, Gotham City Sirens, The Flash, they still don't have a director. I'm not sure a Cyborg movie is going to happen. I'm not sure a Shazam Mm -hmm. movie is going to happen. They are doing Aquaman, which I'm happy about just because I like Jason Mm -hmm. Momoa. And because I'm pretty sure I've heard Nightwing as well, Nightwing film, right? Nightwing's so you know it's possible that in the next four years, other than Justice League and Wonder Woman, like the majority of the films are going to be in the Batverse, which I think is cool because. Marvel is and has said openly they're going more cosmic. Guardians of the Galaxy, Captain Marvel, Inhumans, Doctor Strange. I think there's going to be more Thor movies. I, I don't think this is Hemsworth's last run. He's still young and he's great. And I think this is going to be the first great Thor movie coming out as Ragnarok. And so what a great contrast it would be to go ground level, right? And that's why Netflix is doing The Defenders on... on um, uh, actually, Marvel's doing Defenders on Netflix is to get more ground level stuff. It's nice to mm-hmm. get some Daredevil and Jessica Jones and Luke Cage hand to hand to contrast all the craziness that's going on in the movies. How do you feel about the possibility of sort of the Batverse, uh, uh, even though some of these properties are way l- less well known than Green Arrow, mm-hmm. Flash, and so forth? Not, or, I'm sorry, Green, yeah, well, uh, I, Green Lantern. Yeah, I I do really look forward if it's if it's mostly going to be a that universe and i would assume very heavily set in gotham i cannot wait to see more of the gothic side of gotham because i don't i feel as if we didn't see we saw a lot of the high life i guess in batman versus superman mm-hmm. we didn't see um any old buildings like i mean as modern as a city gets you're always going to have a classic building which is usually like government house or something like that mm-hmm. i mean heck we do have a gargoyle in brisbane we have one gargoyle mm-hmm. um and I think to see where the crooks are going to be in the dark corners, I, I would really like to see more of the, the comic book shining through because Christopher Nolan's um, Batman was really good and really brought it you know, into the modern world. But I don't think we got to see a gothic side of Gotham very much. Only, only during the Bane takeover towards the end of Dark Knight Rises. That was the darkest we saw. Yeah, yeah. And... Um, and I mean, I want to, I want to, because Gotham has such a big history, yes. and you see that throughout, like the tunnels under under Gotham, and how the, um, I think in some some renditions, the Batcave is actually a part of those tunnels, and that's how Batman gets around really well. Yes, uh, there are gargoyles even, I think it's in a New Fifty Two comic or with the Court of Owls, um, where there's this building in Gotham that has a whole lot of gargoyles on it that represent it's meant to like welcome um, immigrants and stuff, which is a weird way to welcome immigrants, but there we go. And, but there are also gargoyles under the surface as well. So it's like, there's this, there's so much behind Gotham. There's so much history and, and especially Arkham as well. And I think because of that, 
if they take it back to the gothic roots, I'm really looking forward to seeing that, especially, uh, especially how, like, I think Ben Affleck, when he comes back to the role of Batman, that's going to fit the quite dark world of Gotham. And I'm a big believer in actors bringing in their real life experiences. And I think that Affleck is going to be the better through going through these crises and mm. have, and we saw even in BVS is sort of more brooding, um, you know, middle-aged Batman, as opposed to Christian Bale, who is still sort of, you know, kind of young. Um, and even though they did a ridiculous time jump to Dark Knight Rises, whatever, but um, I think we're going to see a good, perf- really good performance from Affleck. I don't know if you saw The Accountant mm. last year. That was maybe my favorite Hollywood movie last year, um, where he, where he plays a um, autistic, uh, basically a guy who's an accountant for for mafia guys, but he does it for the challenge because he's got this brilliant autistic mind, um, and he, and he's also like a sniper because he's from a mi- fucked up military family, and he ends up getting trapped. Uh, and Anna Kendrick's in it is awesome. By the way, Anna Kendrick has been mentioned for Batgirl. Now she would have to be the year one Batgirl who's tiny and and extra spunky. I don't <laughs> think that's going to happen. Well, I mean, any actress can can work out and 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 bulk up and stuff. But yeah. I think just the way that she acts and the comedic timing and stuff, she'd have to be. It would have to be a young Batgirl. It'd have to be. Um, kind of a fun area i i wouldn't put my money on it i'd rather her a squirrel girl just saying she wants it badly i know yeah and i want that on deadpool i want squirrel girl and deadpool oh my God. i want ryan reynolds <sighs> and anna kendrick <laughs> i die i die i never thought about that i'm dying just thinking about that possibility holy shit it'd be amazing um, but it'd be amazing but to your point i mean look it's undeniable Batman has the most great villains of any comic book uh, protagonist ever. I mean, they're so memorable. The animated series was just one awesome Batman villain after another. And the fact that Batgirl can draw from that, but doesn't have to at all times is great. Um, and the other thing is, you know, uh, I mean, we can bridge to CW. Arrow is basically Batman with a bow and arrow under the name Green oh, Arrow. Yeah. I mean, that the, the Al Ghul's Batman. So, you know, the Huntress. I mean, it's all from the Batverse, right? I mean, even his oh, personality definitely. is way more like Bruce Wayne than like uh, Oliver Queen is in the comics, for example. Um, and the mm. little bit I know about the comics. Um, so, uh, and you know, Felicity kind of going okay. along the lines of all Oracle. Right. So here, here's where we're going to go, so I can be specific. You did a great podcast, as I mentioned early on, recently talking about the season finales. I have mm. seen all of Supergirl season two, a little bit of one. I love season two of Supergirl. It's my favorite comic book show on television, not called Jessica Jones. Um, I couldn't stay with the flash past the season and a half. And I, I did watch some season three. I watched the musical episode, which I loved. And, um, that was I, fun. it was really fun. Um, and, but I think the actors are criminally underused and underwritten for, and the finale, the whole Iris West being the center of attention for an entire season was late, uh, frankly, incredibly selfish on the part of the flash and the whole flash team. I'm sorry. I, I actually think Candace Patton is a good actress who's being poorly written for. Definitely. Yeah. And I am actually very disappointed with how they are treating the women on, um, on the flash because Iris has a job. She, she's a journalist. She has friends outside of 
this little flash group. But we aren't seeing any of that. We aren't seeing anything beyond her relationship with Barry. Yeah. And I feel there's so much more to her that we need to investigate. But Caitlin Snow, oh my God. I am the most angry with so because angry. they only decide to help her. They only decide to help her when they realize it benefits them. When they realize that, oh, if we don't, she's going to become Caitlin and then Iris is going to die. So we have to help her. And it's kind of like, guys, she's your friend. Help her because you yeah. should help her. Yep. I look. I only made it through three seasons of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I actually think the first couple seasons are, are decent, and I love the cast. I think the problem mm-hmm. is with the writing. But the highlight of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., other than Chloe Bennett being a badass, who, by the way, Chloe Bennett would be a great Batgirl, just saying. Yeah, she'd um, be all right. Yeah, um, is, the, is Fitzsimmons, the, the, the male-female yep. duo science nerds, are so, so great mm. in that show. Their romance is just spectacular, at least through the first few seasons. Well, their non-romance, that becomes a romance. Um, mm. And Cisco and Caitlin had such good rapport in the first season. But it didn't even have to be a romance between them. There was such good No, no, no. I'm not saying that. that. I, I'm just saying the combo of them as the hilarious science nerds was yeah. great. And it just proved how much um, Felicity had to shoulder um, being the science nerd who had to talk to herself all the time because she didn't have someone to bounce off like they do with Fitzsimmons mm-hmm. and S.H.I.E.L.D. or um, Daniel Panabaker and, and Carlos Valdez or whatever his name is um, on The Flash. And so to make him a superhero and her an anti-superhero and split them up, I just don't know what the hell they were thinking. I agree mm-hmm. with you about Iris. She should have still been a journalist. I mean, Katie Cassidy as the Laurel Lanson Arrow was the best in season one because she has a purpose for her life doing... trying. Oh, you she's know, amazing, yeah. Yeah. yeah, being helping, like basically making no money, helping poor people and wrongly accused people. You know, like she's just smiley in the first season. She's more human. But when we get like mm. whiny, broody, bitching, I don't mean bitchy, like bitching, like complaining, Laura Lance in terms of the writing in the later seasons and that they have to make her Black Canary where she does a very good job. You know, I, the, the solution is always like, well, we don't have anything for the female characters to do creatively. So we're just going to make them a superhero to make up for that now in the case mm-hmm. of willa holland as thea queen i was really in support of that decision i know you said you didn't love season three that's my favorite season of arrow other than season one because i love the al ghul family i love that storyline and i really liked at least for that season ma- you know Ma- malcolm merlin making thea I- into uh, a badass kind of under his spell mm-hmm. um i i thought was great it was definitely about time for thea to have her come around and especially uh season three and season four is actually where both Thea and, um, but they are very underused and very whiny beforehand. They're just kind of, they're just there. Although I will say, you, you, I'm sorry, really quickly, you guys made a point about, um, I can't remember which of you was, like, it's okay to have a woman be a victim, but give them a three-dimensional story and portrayal, I think you guys said. Exactly, yeah. Uh, yeah I think that was probably me. Even though I was thrilled to see Thea get more to do, I actually really liked Thea's performance in the first couple of seasons, even though it could have been so whiny, just because I think Willa Holland is an extremely talented young actress, who, by the way, Steven Spielberg discovered as a young girl, and who was sort of a friend of her family's, and advised that she go into modeling and acting. I think she's got a great career ahead of her, but that was a case of two-dimensional whiny writing for a character that I thought she did a great job with. I think these actors are, tr- are better, and this goes with S.H.I.E.L.D., and even 
some of the Netflix stuff. I think these actors are better than the writing more often than not when things are going wrong. I don't know if you agree with that general generalization. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I think I just have a sneeze. Nope, it's not. It's gone. I'm not sneezing. <laughs> um, I do think that the actors are very much underused. However, I feel like um, just the way that the 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 actress for Laurel Lance, who's now Black Siren, Katie I think Cassidy. she's. Katie Cassidy is I feel she's doing really well sometimes it feels a little overplayed but I feel like they're actually utilizing her really well in the last season and what I'd love to see is if they um now this is the selfish thing I was telling you about like I love I would love if this happened if uh somehow um from you know something comes across into this world digital and Black Siren is taken into this new world that we haven't discovered yet. So not Earth 1, 2, or 3. We're taken into this new Earth, Earth 4. And Black Siren's like, where the heck am I? And then Oracle comes out of nowhere like, you're going to work for me. You're going to redeem yourself. I love that storyline. And I'd love it if they come across like a very vengeful high school, uh, Helena Bertinelli, who's had her, her parents or family killed by the mob. And she wants to, you know, get revenge. And Oracle sees it as her responsibility to help and guide Helena and also try and get Black Siren back on the straight and narrow. And I would think that would make for a great series. Okay, I have two points to make on exactly what you said and then a question following. A, sure. there's no way anything related to Batgirl is going to be on CW. Joss Whedon won't allow it. I know. It. Yeah, Joss Whedon I'm won't allow selfish. it. No, no, well, I, but I think, if, really, if you're being selfish, you should want Batgirl to stay with Joss Whedon in the movies because, then this is going to be my question, just really quickly, not using Huntress, who they introduced early on in Arrow, who the actress was great and the writing for her was awesome and her chemistry with... She had the best physical chemistry with Stephen Amell by far. I mean, that was like some really sexy stuff. And then they just like wrote her out and we never saw her again. Maybe yeah, that once. was weird. I, I, that was really weird. I thought she was great and that was a great early edition of like a good guy slash bad guy female character and, and reading Birds of mm-hmm. Prey. I, sh- there's so much material there. So those are my two points. Mm-hmm. So my question is... How do you feel about these parallel DCEU uh, slash CW or Arrowverse universes where we have a flash where the casting was good and the concept was good that they're just not executing on and a bad casting, in my opinion, in the movie, that uh, movie that may never happen because all the directors keep quitting. Um, the fact that, you know, they're not bringing Batman onto TV, uh, but we do have Superman and Supergirl. So we're double or triple casting all these characters. How, Whereas in Marvel, they're trying to connect everything, but Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. feels totally disconnected from the MCU, even though it was started by the Whedons and supposed to be a tie-in. They've decided to make it narratively very separate. The Defenders is doing a better job of it being sort of post-Avengers New York um, and the legacy of these more ground-level characters that are connected, but they uh, they aren't beholden to the movies. Do you think it works more in DC's favor to have two separate universes, or do you think it works against what they're trying to do or both well i think it's fine like what we had been saying before about the multiple universes it's okay to have multiple characters and in the end i mean who cares if ezra miller is better than grant gustin or the other way around we just got two flash we got two flashes yeah we've got two sources of entertainment so i think either way the audience is gonna win yeah yeah, I just think what I've seen of Ezra Miller, I know he's been in some good films. He just seems kind of obnoxious. Maybe that's how The Flash is in the comics. Um, as my buddy Matt says, Grant Gustin looks like he's about to cry at any moment all the time, which, <laughs> yeah, which isn't a good a look. 
Um, and that's another missed opportunity where Iris West could really be the strong one in that relationship emotionally. Um, and and that's a wasted opportunity. And I don't really buy their chemistry just because of the writing. Um, just like I didn't really buy, uh, uh, Stephen Amell's chemistry with Casey, Katie Cassidy because of the writing. Um, so let's talk about Arrow because we agree Supergirl's awesome. Um, we agree that the Flash is majorly problematic. You really liked Arrow season five. I started losing my love of Arrow during season four. I'm really, 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 really not a fan of the extended team of Team Arrow now. I loved original Team Arrow plus the, uh, I don't like Mm -hmm. Mr. Terrific. I mean, I despise Mr. Terrific. That guy <laughs> is so annoying. As you guys pointed out, um, what's her face, who was briefly with them, the short girl, and then left and then came back, was really forced. Artemis, not a great actress or, or writing performance. Yeah. I, I do like Wild Dog a little bit, but I just don't care about his personal life that much. Um, the actor's good. He's like 37, by the way. Um, you would <laughs> never believe Wild Dog. I thought he was like 22. Um, I do like the way Captain Lance is being written now. I didn't like Paul Blackthorne for the first few seasons. I, I think now that he's not just a raging alcoholic who hates, you know, uh, the Green Arrow irrationally, um, mm-hmm. it, it makes his character more compelling. Um, so I, I just, I think there's too many characters. I, I love Lila and the connection with, um, what's that organization called? Like sh- the Shield organization? Argus. Argus. Yeah, yeah. So they actually run Task, task, task Force X. And we saw a little bit of that in season three, I think, before Suicide Squad came out. And then there was a bit of a clashing of, you know, contracts and stuff. Like, you can't have that character. We've got that character. Which is too bad because the Suicide Squad and Amanda Waller on on Arrow was pretty darn good. It was pretty fun. Yeah. Um, I find that um, the new team, it's definitely, it's not, it doesn't have the chemistry that uh, Thea, Diggle... Even Roy, if you remember Roy. Yeah, it's not even about the um, chemistry. It's just the fact that they're constantly giving Oliver shit. And he's constantly being like, you're right, guys. I fucked up. You know? Like, we already had Diggle and Felicity doing that to him. Now we have these kids yeah. with no experience making Oliver feel bad about everything. Like, give me a fucking break. And by the way, the other I reason think- we don't need Mr. Terrific is because we already have a Felicity. We don't need a hipster, yeah. male, black, gay version of Felicity doing the Felicity, okay? It's just taking away from her. I love Felicity Smoke. I hate the Felicity haters out there. I'm sorry. I get very passionate about Arrow because when the show is good, I f- really fucking love it. And when it's off, oh, yeah. it just it really, really angers me. Let me tell you now, I have a um, industrial piercing because of Felicity Smoke. So I have a, a bar in the top of my ear because I love that character so much. Yes, she's so great. Emily Bett She is really great. Yeah. She was underused a few times um, where she lost traction because the actress is perfect for her uh, for that role. But again, underused female character. But the, the, the point with the team is that I, do, I actually do agree maybe not as harshly about Mr. Terrific because I feel like he's um, like one, how does he get his hair like that every time he needs to go out? And two, um, when there was the huge crossover with Flash, Supergirl, Arrow and Legends, it's too much nerd, too much nerd. When him, Felicity and um, Cisco are all trying to get the funny upper hand quirky lines at once. I'm like, there's too much. This is just, this isn't funny. Yeah, Felicity and Cisco are good together. That's enough. They are perfect. They're amazing. Yeah. I think, well, what happened to Ragman? He's just disappeared. 
Well, this is this is a larger question though about CW. Is Supergirl is the one? I don't watch Legends, but of the three main ones, Supergirl is the one that gets that. To make the show better, focus on your strengths, your lead characters, give them more dimensionality, and add in little side characters or bad guys like Terry Hatcher or, um, or uh, Calista Flockhart, who's so good on Supergirl. Oh, um, Cat! Yes, Cat's amazing. I love Cat Grant. I love how she hasn't seen Super. Uh, she hasn't seen, seen Star, Star Wars, Wars, but but she knows that who Supergirl so is. Good. She's figured out who Supergirl <laughs> is. It's great. Yeah. But but do you know what I'm saying? Like, why does Arrow and Flash that had really good first couple seasons feel like they just need to add more characters? Like, why not just spend time fleshing out Iris's character? Why not have Grant Gustin? The thing I do like about Ezra Miller's portrayal, as I've seen it so far, is that he is sort of mischievous and kind of Spider-Man-y. You know, I don't love Spider-Man. Yeah. I don't love the sort of young teenage quippy characters who are just annoying with stupid one-liners, but Tom Holland's done a good job with the new Spider-Man so far. I think that movie's going to be good. I think you should make The Flash on TV a little bit more mischievous, you know? I mean, mm. The Flash fucks up, but he fucks up for these big metaphysical emotional reasons. Like, let's have Grant Gustin I... smile. That's what I loved about the musical. He was yeah. smiling. He was having fun like happy yeah i got so confused at the end of season three like he just steps off into the speed force because someone has to be in there for some reason i thought it was a joke whatever i'm watching it i'm going this is a fucking joke this is how you're ending the season after everything you've gone through it just like i think and and i think my um my colleague from nova stream on the on our podcast nailed it it would have been more powerful for them to try and redeem savitar i think that would have been very difficult, especially if with that ending. Imagine if Savitar Grant Gustin, Grant Gustin was left and the real Flash had to go off into the Speed Force. Yeah. There's so much more in that. There's so much more um, love. And, and as we've seen with Wonder Woman, love actually makes sense. That's what the superheroes are for. They're meant to try and – it's not just catch the bad guys and throw them in jail. It's You're trying to find redemption for them. You're trying to – like rehabilitation, I guess. Yeah. And who – who is the best villain in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? It's Loki, because he has those sides, and because you want him to be redeemed, you know? You want Thor to be right about him. And I think, you know, most people predict that Loki will ultimately be good and die in the fight for Thanos. We'll see how that happens. Uh, Even if that's Mm -hmm. predictable, I hope that is what happens. But either way, I mean, who's one of the best villains on CW? It's Captain Cold, right? Because And then even Harley Quinn. Yes. Everyone loves Harley, because she is a villain... Well, really anti-villain because she's, she's just got so many sides to her. And she is super intelligent, but it's underplayed. I mean, Batgirl, Harley Quinn, and fucking Huntress, if you put those three together, oh my god, it would be amazing. I kind of wish they used um, Tatsu a bit more. Katana from mm. Suicide Squad. Yep. Like, imagine if um, when Tatsu jumps on the helicopter and she says something in Japanese. I would have loved it if Harley turned around and responded in Japanese. Because we do forget that Harley is a, a psychologist. She's really smart. Yeah, I have seen that clip, actually, of when she's still a psychologist in Suicide Squad. Maybe I watched that far, where she was, yeah, with the glasses and everything, talking with the Joker. Mm. Before, you know, um, the same way, um, uh, what's his face um, from Batman Begins uh, is a psychologist. Um, uh, Crane? Scarecrow? Yeah, Crane. Right, 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 right. Mm, that's another villain that Batgirl would be really good against because then that way you could almost subtly introduce her backstory 
yes. gets hit with the gas, and then all of a sudden she's reliving the Killing Joke. Yeah, yeah, and the and the fact that Batgirl's always trying to redeem the villains too is great. And I think yeah, I think the more subtle psychological bad guys work with her. Um, it, so if you do a more subtle portrayal of Harvey Dent, uh, you know. Uh, not the over the top mm. version I think could work. I, I wouldn't want to see a, a super over the top villain there necessarily, but you know, I mean, I think all, all of these TV shows have villain problems. I, I think, you know, Kingpin and daredevil and Kilgrave and Jessica Jones are clearly the best villains uh, um, mm. of the comic book shows. I don't know if you agree with that. I really love um, the mayor as well in Luke Cage, just because she's so, She's she's almost uh, whimsical isn't the right word. It's kind of like she was manipulated, but then she's starting to be like, okay, no, I can do this myself. Yeah. I can be the mayor and a gang lord. And just also because of the powerful scene between her and um, the, I think the lead uh, Misty Knight and yep. the I guess the the cop station boss as well. That was an amazing scene. Oh man, the opening of of the Defenders trailer, the opening bit where Jessica's in jail and Misty Knight is reading her the riot act and Matt Murdock walks in and says, Jessica Jones, stop talking. Who are you? I'm Matt Murdock. I'm your attorney. Which, by the way, is in like the fifth page of the original Jessica Jones uh, alias comic. Um, And in fact, a lot of what's going on. Oh, really? Yeah, a lot of what's going because Brian Michael Bendis is behind a lot of this Netflix stuff. He's like the main executive producer. Um, they're actually basing a lot of the Defenders on TV stuff on Jessica Jones uh, alias comics from the early 2000s. Um, they are pulling from Daredevil for Daredevil and Luke Cage for Luke Cage and so forth. Um, but, the, you know, Jessica Jones is the, even the most ground level of all of them um, in terms of her powers and just the way they portray it. Um, and, and, and the focus on the Netflix shows, and this will be a good question, is... You know, the focus on the Netflix shows is really way more about character stuff, and the action is sort of secondary, right? I mean, Luke Cage took a while to get going in terms of the action, and even though I didn't love the show, I was fine with that. Jessica Jones, I didn't even yeah. care about, you know, as I say, the only reason Jessica Jones needs superpowers from a writing standpoint is to, like, get her through locks and break into buildings and stuff yeah. and, and, and protect and herself. She's like, yeah. She can fly, but she just doesn't know how to land. Yeah, so she'd that's from the comic as well. She's, she's really good buddies with um, Cara Danvers. Um, sorry, Carol Danvers. That's another interesting thing. Uh, Captain Marvel. Um, Jessica Jones and Captain Marvel are, are buddies in the comic books. And, yeah. and Captain Marvel, who on paper is much more powerful, is always trying to like psych up Jessica. And Jessica's line about it's more like controlled falling about flying or whatever is, yeah. is straight from the comic books. And, and Kristen Ritter just nailed that. Yeah, she, it's like you never know when her powers you know, like are, are going to be fully manifested. However, with like the Iron Fist, it almost took too long to get into it. It was good. I mean, like the uh, relationships between all the different characters and how it's gone instead of like a really, uh, I guess, with all the other shows, it's quite street level stuff. What do you mean Iron Fist? uh, What did I say? I I don't, I know, I I, I missed it. What were you referring to Iron Fist? Oh, okay. I hope I said Iron Fist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I wasn't sure because yeah. that mo- that show was received very poorly over here. I don't know how it was received among your extended crew. It's um, it, yeah, it's it was received received quite poorly, and I think that's because it was so slow to start with. But it is messed up by the time by the time it gets closer to the end, and I think 
the way that they've done it well is um, the difference between that show and the others is that it's it's more high flying in that it has like high business buildings and stuff. It's not the gangs and the yep. yeah yeah. It was good to see that side of things. I think the problem is from the very go on Iron Fist, both the writing, acting, and fighting is pretty piss poor compared to what we had seen. Now I've heard that. They basically rushed Iron Fist and because it was it's really a lead in to the Defenders, so it's a little unfair mm. to Iron Fist to so all the setting up it has to do. I've heard that Finn Jones, who maybe wasn't perfectly cast as Danny Rand, again I've only seen a few episodes of Iron Fist because I just couldn't get into it. Um, and I just I'm I'm not such a big TV watcher. This is something Bizzlecast listeners know. I've really had to force myself to watch more TV because I'm really a movie guy. Um, but. Uh, you know, I, I, I've heard that he has gotten way better at fighting and it's just better written overall. And the Defenders, in that his sort of uh, strained buddy relationship with Luke Cage, as contrast, I think is going to be great. I think, uh, so me and my buddy Matt have had a bet since Jessica Jones aired about who is going to lead the Defenders. I've said JJ easily is going to end up being the leader. He thinks Daredevil, just because he's Daredevil, will be the leader. It looks like they're going to split it, but they're clearly mm. pairing off JJ and Daredevil as the leads in the Defender, uh, li- yeah. which is smart because they have the best shows, they're the best actors, they're the best characters, and then we're going to get some comic relief throw, from Luke Cage. And, uh, I'm going to throw another player yeah. in the leader ring, and I'm going to say um, perhaps... Rosie, Rosie Dawson. Rosario <laughs> Dawson. I'm sorry to break it to you, but she's going to get offed in this. Oh, no. I, I, this she's is the like, non-spoiler. I don't know this. I, I've never heard this other than fan uh, theories, but she's like Coulson. Like, she's exactly Phil Coulson, but for the Defenders. And what did Joss yeah. Whedon do to rally the Defenders? Kill, at least temporarily kill off Phil Coulson. And I think, Rick. unfortunately, Rosario has been the glue of this entire uh, sub-universe, but I, I, I think Claire Temple is, is not long for this, this life. I, she's definitely going to be the moral leader. We can already tell that brings them together. Yeah. But I think it's going to be All the right, death of not? Claire that's going to really bring them together could be wrong why not frank castle let's put the punisher in there too <laughs> who by the way is, so it's going to be defenders in august and then punisher in november and then jj is going to be like january or february and uh cool. we, you know we've talked all about how the, the so many of the classic superheroes in both marvel and dc are always trying to save people and not kill them it will be interesting to see a marvel character like punisher on screen who specifically is going to be killing people because if he's like, not yeah. then it's going to be against his character but if he kills too many people will people be able to root for him do you think that can work in a whole series with punisher because he's a great actor bernthal he was also in the accountant and was excellent yeah he was also in uh walking dead but i think yeah definitely people are going to root for him because he's sympathetic people can um feel for him because he has such a tragic backstory and because he is a dad trying to avenge his wife and child and I, I sympath. I just, I think that's really powerful in that he's not just muscle walking in there shooting people. He's he has such great emotion and great feeling that people are going to really uh, just grab onto and really just want to follow through the whole season. Yep. And yeah, I mean, Punisher really plays well in this country because we have a, a, a culture, for better or worse, that venerates veterans um, from the military. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously we've been involved in a lot of fucked up military shit in this country the past few decades, but you know, it, there are obviously situations where soldiers do horrible things, but for the most part, veterans, um, I don't know how, you know how much you know about American history, but like during the, the anti-Vietnam 
peace movement in the 60s veterans that came back were like booed and like treated like shit by the hippies you know and even though i'm a total like modern hippie my parents were hippies my dad got kicked out of university uh, almost permanently for being a a, a protester for the war um you know veterans were blamed and there was a reaction to that within the country where people realized that that was really fucked up especially because it was a draft it wasn't voluntary yeah that's that's what i was thinking wasn't that a draft yeah all right, uh, Bizzlecast listeners, we're going to head towards the end here with a couple small things. Um, we just took a quick break. Actually, Brittany, I was just ch- uh, checking my Twitter, which I've been checking compulsively in the last week leading up to uh, and after the release of Wonder Woman, because I like to see everyone praise it. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, Joss Whedon uh, yesterday, um, I might have tagged you in this, tweeted, uh, you know, oh, so do you know about the controversy about the all women screenings over here? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. So it's pretty funny because even like like moderate conservatives are bashing the idiots who are saying this stuff. Um, so Joss Whedon's response was to this was, "I got to see Wonder Woman by myself weeks ago. So shut up. There's already been a man only screening." I know it's perfect, isn't it? And he says, "Oh, and it's a goddamn delight with an awesome picture of her." And Gal just responded, "LOL" to Joss. Thank you so much. See you soon. Smiley face wink. They're going to be back on Justice League set, baby, with Joss Whedon. Oh, yes. I, I, you never want something like this to happen for the reason it happened. But the fact that Snyder was the one who brought Joss in and their buddies, it, they have a long history of being friends together because they've been fighting for good comic book movies um, in their own ways for like 20 plus years. Um, and the support that DC... I mean, did you know that DC was offering to push back Justice League in order for Zack Snyder to deal with his shit? And he was like, guys, I really appreciate it, but i I got to go indefinitely. I want my boy yeah. Joss to come in. It, it's the best you can hope for in a situation that's so horrible like this. But mm. I do think it will give some renewed vigor to a movie that I think was already going to be much better than BVS. And with a little love and affection... I mean, look... Even Rogue One had a lot of reshoots and, and they brought in with, you know, Gareth Edwards, a blessing, brought in some experienced professionals to add a little humor and depth to Rogue One. And mm. um, just really quickly, I know you said you're not a big Star Wars person. Was your response uh, similar to the feeling in Australia that people aren't crazy like they are here over Star Wars, but that Rogue One is acknowledged as kind of a brilliant genre film? Look, I, I can't, <laughs> I am probably actually not the norm. A lot of people love Star Wars. Oh, and Rogue do. One okay. I thought was fantastic. Uh, a little bit of history of what I've done. I've actually interviewed this small um, this little group of guys down in Sydney, a little north of Sydney actually, who teach people how to use a lightsaber and they use it like <laughs> it, they treat it almost like a martial arts. It's really yeah. good. Like it's not like serious and dead serious and all that. They're just lovely, respectable men. Um, yeah. They're called the Sons of Obi-Wan, if you don't mind me plugging them here. No, please but do. Yeah, so we, we do have a lot of of um, fans here. And in fact, for the Sydney Supernova, I'm pretty sure the Sons of Obi-Wan with some other people are trying to break the world record for the most Star Wars dressed people hmm. um, in one spot. Uh, they know that some another company is trying to do it as well later on this year, so they're trying to get in because they know they won't beat it after after <laughs> these guys get a hold of it. Hey, I've been I've been swinging lightsabers for th- over thirty years, um, so to speak, um, and uh, I'm in full support of that. Star Wars was definitely the thing that started making nerd culture 
Uh, actually not. Star Trek was the thing that started making nerd culture um, more in the mainstream and that the, sh- the original Star Trek only lasted like three years or something, but there was, it got syndicated and it was, got so popular in the seventies that they ended up making over a dozen Star Trek movies yeah. since then. But Star Wars was really the one that because it's a mix of sci-fi fantasy and like adventure, old school Indiana Jones type stuff, people could get behind because of the mythology and it's funny and it's exciting and it's not so nerdy like Star Trek. Um, so, so, you know, what's interesting is, you know, even though The Force Awakens made $2 billion worldwide, almost half of that came from um, uh, the U.S. Um, and Star Wars figures, while always high, tend to be even higher in the U.S. But I will give it to you guys. You guys spent $67 million on The Force Awakens, uh, oh, which is more than half of China. Wow. Um, yes. And... As a comparison, on Rogue One, you guys spent $37 million, which is proportionally actually more uh, than Force Awakens because Star Wars uh, Rogue One only made about half exactly of what Force Awakens made. Mm. I really enjoyed Rogue One because it, 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 and just before that, I made sure I had watched every single Star Wars film. Um, it was really good because it brought it back to ground level. Like you, Space is amazing. Space is really cool. But to have the soldiers um, on foot trying to take down the satellite and all that, it was it was really good. It made it feel feel like a sci-fi war film. And I know Star Wars, I mean, yeah, but the others are like a space opera, you know, these ragtag teams going everywhere. But Rogue One was more just felt like a like an actual war. Like this is this is something that could happen. Ro- well, Rogue if, One if space yeah. exploration was a thing. Like right. That. Uh, no, I mean Rogue One. It is the closest to like an apocalypse now war movie that Disney will ever make. Um, mm-hmm. I, I hope that they would make more adult kind of films in the future, but the fact that they, and to their credit, as soon as the director Gareth Edwards and the writers and the production team pitched the whole, everyone's got going to and got to die to Disney, they said yes, because they were able to justify it from a plot standpoint in terms of continuity leading into the original trilogy and so forth. Um, and so Disney agreed to it pretty early on, which, which is impressive. You would think they would put up a stink about killing all your lead characters. But I have to say, as much as I love Daisy Ridley as Rey and The Fur- Force Awakens, and she fucking carries that movie, her and John Boyega, obviously, mm-hmm. I think in some ways Jin Erso is more relatable for, for young girls and women, um, or just anybody. But I think as a, if I imagine myself as a young girl in 2016, I think I would relate more to Jin than to Ray, who's so, you know, I mean, she's got the force and she's good at everything and she's just sweet and nice despite her situation. Jin seems like a, a more realistic character. I don't know if that, if that, um, figured into your, your love of Rogue One. Well, I I mean I probably actually I probably relate more to Ray in that Ray has this almost naivety about her, um, fresh faced, trying to trying to do what's right, but really is just caught up in it. And yep. I really liked that. Like but Batgirl. um Yeah. And like Batgirl. <laughs> yeah, totally. But um Jin Jin was fantastic because she was passionate and she was strong and she was like, just you know, guys, you're rebellion. Rebel <laughs> And I thought that was really good. I, I, I also think that Felicity Jones and Diego's Luna, Diego Luna's physical chemistry was like off the charts. Like, 
the looks that they gave each other increasingly as the movie went along in that final scene on the beach. I mean, it just makes me cry every single time. It gives me chills. I was sitting there thinking, oh, I wonder how they're going to get out of this. Oh, I wonder if the robot's going to fly in and save them. Yeah. Oh, they're, they're going to die. Yeah. Oh. So one, of the, one of the fun things about doing a podcast uh, for a couple of years, Brittany, is that your predictions get, get put into permanent uh, taping on the internet. And so, mm-hmm. y- you know, when I saw BVS opening night and did a podcast the next day and talked for like 20 minutes about how I thought Gal Gadot was going to be a superstar and Wonder Woman was going to be amazing, I can like say I have it on tape. And then I have a lot of yeah. predictions I got way wrong that are on tape but are still entertaining. But um, I predicted a very early on, w- as soon as I heard the concept before Rogue One, I predicted in one of my first podcasts that everyone was going to die. And then I started getting nervous as it got closer because people were like, there's no way they're going to kill everyone. Like, like Jin is going to make it out, or at least K2 is going to make it out. And then when they killed K2 first, I'm going, okay, I was right. I, and, but I didn't want to be right. I, I wanted to be wrong at that point. I wanted someone to get out. But it, they, and they kill them all, and like a, other than Jin and um, uh, Cassie, and they kill everyone else in like a three-minute span. It's just, it's horrifying, but great filmmaking. Mm. I um I've only once done a prediction that I'm quite proud of that I yeah. really I kind of rubbed it in my my friends' faces at Nova Stream. I said early on after watching the trailers for Suicide Squad, I'm like, Enchantress isn't walking with them any point in the ser- in these trailers. She's the villain. She's going to be the villain. Yep. And they're like, No, she's not. No, she's not. The joke is the villain. The joke is the villain. And by the time the film came out, I'm like, guys, I got that. That was me. (laughs) That was probably, again, one that you wish you were wrong about, right? I mean, in hindsight. Okay. I I know a lot of people disliked a lot of things about Suicide Squad and didn't like the portrayal of... of Not that it was a bad choice, but that the portrayal Mm. wasn't great. I don't know anything about Enchantress. Enchantress? um, Yeah, she's... She's, she doesn't want to be a villain. She's actually just a normal archaeologist, like a woman who's quite scientific and stuff, and she gets possessed by this really old witch. And so the witch, whenever, um, whenever June Moon is the, young, is the architect's name, whenever she says Enchantress, she changes into the witch. And the witch is, is, the, evil, is the evilness. And June Moon doesn't want to be bad. She doesn't want to be a horrible person. Um, but... I think that when they would had the ashen look of Enchantress, that was really cool. Like uh, Cara Delevingne, yeah? she played that really well, and I think they did her an injustice at the very end when they had her quite—I don't know—doing the Macarena or something in front of this really great yeah. beam of light. <laughs> Unfortunately for that young beautiful talented actress she's making some poor choices i think valerian is going to be one of the biggest bombs of all time at 200 million dollars really? terrible yeah to, to have luke bazan doing a teeny bopper avatar i mean it's just it's there's i mean honestly like who saw the fucking divergent movies i know some people did but like this, <laughs> this, other than the hunger games everyone's trying to copy these um, teen fiction properties, and, and I just don't understand Valerian. I hope it's good, you know? I mean, I don't mm-hmm. think I like Luke Bazan as much as others. I think Fitelman's good, and uh, Lucy had its moments, but um, yeah, she's definitely talented, and she's young enough that it doesn't matter, you know? She, she'll, she'll have plenty of time. Um, so, okay, so let's wrap this up with something a little bit different, but related, uh, which was another thing we kind of bonded over online early, uh, which is 
the increasing presence of strong female characters in video games. Now, neither of us are huge gamers. I grew up playing um, computer games because my parents wouldn't let me have a console, but they said I could play computer games. So I had like role, like old school role playing games and strategy games like Warcraft and Starcraft, which are amazing, and Civilization and all those types of games. And they started porting console games and so forth. I do have a PS3. I had a PS2. I play them very rarely. Um, you know, I'll play some Call of Duty occasionally. I'll play some role playing games. Um, but uh, I, I still, I just don't have that much time for gaming. And honestly, as I get older, I, I really like tabletop gaming and, you know, interacting with people and stuff. Yeah. Um, but undoubtedly, there's been some great games the past few years with female characters. The biggest is the female shepherd in Mass Effect, who everyone agrees is way better in terms of voice performance and portrayal than the male shepherd in Mass Effect um, with Bioware. And then uh, Guerrilla uh, Studios, known for the Killzone games, which were pretty but pretty shallow shooters that they did a bunch of over a number of years for the PlayStation, spent five years developing Horizon Zero Dawn, which has now become one of the best-selling games Ooh. for the PS4. It's, it's the best-selling game with a female-only protagonist that's ever been made. It features oh, Ashley wow. Birch, who's one of my favorite, favorite, favorite people on the internet and voice talents and actresses who has one of the best, most hilarious web series called Hey Ash, What You Playing, which is her and her mm. brother, and she plays the younger sister. I mean, she's the younger sister. She plays a totally different version of herself where she's really, really dumb, but she gets obsessed with video games, and she's like a savant, and, but she falls in love with games to the point where she starts re- reenacting all of them uh, in these <laughs> fantasy that she drags her brother and her dad and her mom and their friends into that can, that are funny and offensive and edgy and bloody and violent at times, but always with like a giant wink and so forth. Um, she she was has on some t- great yeah. videos on Rocket Jump as well. Yes. It's really hilarious clips there. Yeah, and she um, she becomes sort of a cult icon doing some very famous indie game performances. She was a very popular character in Borderlands 2, which is a big game, but undoubtedly Horizon Zero Dawn... Uh, and by the way, she's also an active writer for like... Nickelodeon and Comedy Central and stuff like that's she's, so cool. I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, she she makes most of her money writing and she she does voice acting on the side and she talks about how it, it's better than being an actor in some ways because you don't get stuck in these um, contracts where you're locked in. Um, like for example, if Gal Gadot wanted to do another movie before Wonder Woman two, like she can't without Wonder, Warner Brothers giving her permission, and I'm sure mm. she doesn't want to at this point. So that's fine. Um, but the voice actors they have a lot more um liberty and um i've discovered a lot of these voice actors through the geek and sundry channel um for the last five years or so on youtube and now they're they merged with the nerdist to be easily the biggest nerd web presence chris hardwick and felicia day who are the two most famous nerds on the planet co-run the whole thing and now it got bought by legendary pictures so they've got money and exposure and so so blah blah blah. anyways met ashley birch through that i mean not personally saw you know got acquainted with her uh, a couple of years ago and when i heard she was doing zero dawn i was like oh she's gonna nail it and you can barely recognize her voice her voice is not that deep in real life she's sort of a mid-range voice she's excellent at doing the high-pitched voice which is important for voice actors because they do a lot of anime and stuff like that or they play much younger characters like ashley johnson who did um the last of us uh who's also who also runs with this crew um she played uh, ellie uh in the last of us ashley johnson wasn't she also on blind spot as the as the scientist 
Maybe. She was the waitress in The Avengers at the end. Um, she was on Growing Pains as a kid actress, which was a very famous show, sitcom uh, here in America. Um, and uh, you would definitely recognize her. She's sort of blonde and cute and kind of tall yeah. and, and strong looking. But anyway, she, she did... She would be an interesting did, choice for Batgo. <laughs> yeah, I think she's not... Um, yeah, it, yeah she would be an strong interesting choice for Batgirl. Yeah. <laughs> no, she's definitely strong. Enough. She, I think she's, she looks too strong almost. I mean, she, uh, she's got guns. Um, but she plays Ellie, who's a much younger character and is one of the great voice performances of all time. Um, anyways, Ashley Birch, awesome. Game, I've seen it played. I've played at my friend's house a little bit. You've played it a lot. You, you broadcasted a bit of your game um, yeah, on YouTube. So- and we got to kind of chat through that, which was super fun for me, as you could probably tell. <laughs> I yeah, I've clocked about just under sixty hours, I think. So I had to hand the book game back though, because I was only borrowing it. And the fact that he let me keep it that long is pretty pretty great. Oh man, yeah, that's extremely great. So I guess <clears throat> one way to lead into this, we can talk about other games too. You know, I, the the new remaking of Tomb Raider, uh, the game, but also with Alicia Vikander playing uh, in the Tomb Raider reboot um, should be pretty awesome. Um, However, I think um, the character of Aloy, voiced by uh, Ashley Birch in Horizon Zero Dawn, uh, is similar to Wonder Woman in that it's it's sort of inherently feminist in some ways, but because she's such a complicated and flawed but ultimately like lovable character, right? It kind of goes down easy without being in your face. Is that too much of a reach? Well, I think it's definitely it's a, it's got a bit more I think feminism in it, but it's still not it's still not attacking or anything like that. It's actually really interesting how her tribe actually. Uh, does the hierarchy of it all it's um, the women actually run the place and the more grandchildren uh, children and grandchildren you have the more hierarchical the more high in the hierarchy you are which kind of makes sense because they're pretty much the voice of a larger population of the tribe because they are the grandmother of the larger population of the tribe Mm-hmm. And I thought that really made sense. And it, it wasn't like, oh, we're just going to make women in charge just for the sake of it, just because we want we want to do this. And sometimes that's fine. But when you have something like a really, like an actual reasoning behind it like this, how it's so interesting and it hasn't been done before, that was really, that was really cool. Which, by the way, just really quickly, it was one of the most hilarious bits in Wonder Woman where... Uh, where Diana just very quickly dismisses men as, or she doesn't dismiss men, but she talks about a, 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 an ancient work of Greek that says men are good for procreation, but not necessarily f- for pleasure. <laughs> yes, yes, that was. <laughs> Which, by the way, by the way, right. Jeff Johns has confirmed that Wonder Woman is bisexual in general. Uh, we've always kind of known this. It's cool that they're not hiding it. Yeah, well, that's that's kind of the the thing, and I think it shows in some of the more recent comics is that. It's a woman, it's an island full of women who obviously are going to get lonely. And I'm pretty sure that there was, um, I think Antiope, her, her right hand lady, which is yep. shown, it isn't, it isn't, you know, expanded on at all. But I'm pretty sure her right hand lady would have been her partner, would have been her, um, well, I yes. guess her wife, even. That was a lover's like, response. They don't have marriage. Yeah. yeah, that was definitely a lover's response. But they don't have marriage on the island. So right. it's just the, the partner, the, the, the joint relationship. However, they would they would title that. And, yeah, in the new comics, it's it's very clear that they pair off, but that they're no one's really exclusive either. Um, yeah, so, yeah. Which is yeah. So, we just talk a little bit about the, the, what you know how the character of Aloy 
uh, other than just an amazing scenario, which is sort of a mix of future and past, uh, right, in terms of look. Like, you've got, like, these cybernetic dinosaur creatures and stuff. It looks absolutely gorgeous. But how does... So, so they've got the matriarchal society, but then Aloy goes out on her own. So how does she... How is she distinguished as a, as a character in, in any medium um, that's made her so compelling to men and women? I think the amazing thing about her is that I think everyone loves a lone wolf, and we see that with... Um, with Wolverine and we see that with uh Batman G. even yeah I mean there's so many lone wolf characters but I just cannot think of any at the moment well Batman is well Batman yeah they are simple they're done um but she's a lone wolf because she was exiled at birth and she only had um her father figure Rust who isn't isn't actually her dad they don't know who her dad was or this is like um the very like very like first 20 minutes to play the game so no real spoilers um but i think that's why because everyone feels obviously a little bit like an outcast and everyone feels a little bit separate and i think that's also a really good way that they've introduced the storyline like how she learns about her own tribe and why things are run that way a little bit further on um she gets the title of seeker which means she has permission to leave the sacred lands which um no one else usually does once you leave you can't come back and it's just, it's, I think the reason why people like her so much is that, yeah, she's an outcast, but it's also, I think everyone kind of wants to be a little bit of a hero. Everyone wants to be the, the, the strong person that does the amazing things for their tribe or for their friends and, um, and saves them and saves the day. And you're always going to, you're always going to love a hero, I guess, who does that. But then also it's her, her critical nature because, um, she comes into her tribe from not really knowing about all the religious nature and stuff that they have. And they're talking about how they, um, they might have these different ways of worship. And Aloy's kind of like, why? Right. This is just, I don't understand that at all. Why do you do that? Um, but it's not really condescending. She's just kind of like, well, I guess that's, that's you. But she doesn't leap onto any idea blindly. She kind of wants to question it a little bit first. Yeah, and I think the fact that, again, she's a fighting, you know, a badass and fighting and has got attitude, but it's coming from an honest place and she's got complexity, you know, all, all some similarities with, with Wonder Woman. But the biggest one is, like, there's been way less sexism around Wonder Woman than I was expecting. And the fact that yeah. I, I, I've heard very little sexism from the nerd community in regards to Zero Dawn, just because the game's so great, you know, it's like, it's not like the, those game makers or, you know, Patty Jenkins are, are like specifically avoiding feminism. They're just like, look, this is an awesome property and we're going to make, in one case, an amazing movie, in another case, an amazing video game. It happens to, you know, star a female character and you guys are going to like it because it's great, right? It sort of, mm. it sort of speaks for itself. It was never being advertised as like, like, this is the ultimate female protagonist game, right? It was just like, this is the next big thing. And most people agree it is easily the best PS4 exclusive that's been released so far. Mm, it's definitely, it's so much fun. Um, the map is insane. It's so big. But uh, one thing that's also really interesting about Aloy, Aloy's story is that more often than not, the, there's always, there's usually like a relationship where you kind of your character gets courted off with someone, but in this one, very if maybe hinted at, but like even if that, I don't think there really is anything to do with relationship or anything. Aloy just wants to figure out who she is. It's all she's 
giving herself time to discover this new world that she's allowed to visit, discover who she is and where she fits in the world, and but also fight for what she thinks is right, which is protecting people from these, um, this, well, from the machine life, which is a very vague reasoning, but I'll try not to do too many spoilers. Yeah, and I think that's that's what really makes her such an amazing character is that she it's focused on where she stands and how she goes through the story and not her value regarding anyone else. Yeah. And I think, you know, one thing that um, people who review and talk about video games that are way more knowledgeable than me point out is it, it borrows gameplay elements from like anywhere from 6 to 12 uh, games depending on how you want to look at it but mm-hmm. it does so in such an organic way that it's its own thing i mean there's elements of far cry there's elements of mass effect there's elements of assassin's creed there's elements yeah. of um you pointed out some tomb raider others. as well tomb raider, tomb raider skyrim yeah yeah it's like i find that um Last with tomb raider the biggest similarities is the archery and um the i guess a little bit of the climbing and the i guess park not really parkour uh, that's that's how it overlaps a little bit more with Assassin's Creed as well. It does um, the climbing mechanics can be a little oversimplified, which I thought was a little bit of a problem because with Tomb Raider, you really had to think, okay, how am I going to climb this? Sometimes you need to shoot an arrow into the surface to give yourself another like leg or foothold or something. Um, but I mean, that's such a small nitpicky thing to even <laughs> to even bother about. I mean you got to find the place first that you need to climb, which is hard enough because the place is so big. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, games like um, Assassin's Creed, you know, climbing's like half the game. So they have to think a lot mm-hmm. about how those dynamics are going. And certainly the sequel, which is for sure already under development at Guerrilla Studios, which, by the way, I just sailed by when I was in Amsterdam. I literally could have thrown a rock at the, 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 Guerrilla, um, the Guerrilla Studios, which is a Dutch company, has, has a... Uh, their main office is right on one of the canals in Amsterdam. I, th- I thought that was amazing. I snapped a couple pictures mm. of it, but um, <laughs> um, but yeah, the, you know, maybe they'll add that to a future one. Um, I want to ask you about Tomb Raider. So Tomb Raider was the first, you know, major female kind of superhero adventure character uh, in a video game. You know, she, she was ridiculously proportioned, um, <laughs> yeah, and then portrayed by Angelina Jolie in two movies that were like, you know, decent action movies. I you love met- those. Oh, no, no, I want to ask you because you said you loved Angelina and those movies angelina jolie seems to be a very divisive actress at least among women um but uh she certainly had some great roles um is there a similarity with tomb raider and wonder woman in terms of like you know the the over sexualization of the character possibly being overstated in terms of people's interest in them well, I, I haven't seen, like, as you were pointing before, I don't, I don't think there has been a sexualization of Wonder Woman. Um, there was a few comments made by this guy who was introducing the movie at the premiere I went to, and I thought, mate, you need to step down. But other than that, I haven't seen many things that sexualize the character. I think with Tomb Raider, it's unfortunate. Um, yes, she has a larger bust, and that makes her a target. But it's also sort of like, well, I mean... <sighs> Those are the, those are more the classic games, and there are women who have a larger bust, but that doesn't mean that they should be targets of sexualization. Whether that's their choice to have had breast enhancement, or whether they were would they just naturally have larger breasts, is kind of like, well, in in what cases does that mean that someone should go up to them and sexualize them? 
So I think, yes, uh, Lara Croft is definitely more sexualized. And I think even now when her um, her clothing has changed, it'll still happen just because of the history of where her character has come from. But what is forgotten is that she's so much more than that. She uh, she is an architect. She is an adventurer. She is fit as anything. She is a really wealthy person. And, um, and there is so much love between her and her dad that is always touched on in like every, every film. And I think that's always really beautiful to see that connection. Which is really interesting because her relationship with her dad in real life is extremely screwed up. I mean, the, the, <laughs> Don, the Donald Ivanka Trump relationship is the only relationship I'm aware of among famous people that's even more screwed up than John Voight and uh, Angelina Jolie. We don't need to get into that. Um, I do <laughs> think the Alicia Vikander reboot should be should be good. I mean, she's a talented actress and has done all sorts of stuff um, and uh, is responsible for one of the most horrifying uh, k- killing scenes of all time in Ex Machina, if you've seen that movie. Cool, Brittany. Well, this was amazing, as I knew it would be. Um, I hope to have you on um, again very soon. I, I hope you enjoyed yourself on the Bizzlecast yeah, here. Yeah, it was good fun. Yeah, Always and- fun nerding out. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah, always. Um, it's great to make connections, you know, with different people overseas and different groups and so forth. I've tried to have sort of a diverse lineup. To be honest with you, I've had some trouble getting um, uh, women on, uh, n- not because I don't have a lot of female friends. I do, but just because I don't have a lot of female friends who are nerds per se. Um, and so, yeah. yeah. It's a scary culture to get into. And um, this is for any of the female listeners out there in that, it's um, and I guess for the men as well, just so you're aware of it. The stereotype is that when you go in, you're going to be looked at as just going into the nerd culture for attention, just to be like, uh, I guess, looked at differently, looked at as cool. But I mean, when you when you push all that aside and just find something that you like, and you just get rid of all the pretense and stuff and show that you love it, then the the gender stereotypes do fall away, and you can have such a good time. And to um to denounce someone's like I guess love for a genre, love for a, any sort of entertainment, just because they've only been watching it or enjoying it for a month, or just because of their gender, or just because of anything like that, it's really damaging. So if someone comes in and they've only been, say, a fan of Star Wars for a month, and you've been watching it since you were a kid, and it's your classic thing, instead of saying I know so much more, you you're not a real fan. I think it, a lot. It's going, oh my goodness, you've only just, let me show you the world of Star Wars. Let me help you into this fandom. And I think, um, and, and those sorts of situations when that happens is so good and so welcoming. And so um, for anyone who's afraid of being turned down, one, just go for it, jump in, talk with someone about nerd stuff. And on the other hand, if people are already in the nerd world, be welcoming. It doesn't matter if you know more or less about a nerd culture. It just helps someone on their way in and say, look, this is really good property and just be so, just be inclusive, be ready to include people. Yep. I'm really glad you said that because, uh, you know, one of the things I'm proudest about with my podcast, um, but also has been a challenge is that when you look at the podcasts out there, 
I'm a little too nerdy for just mainstream pop culture podcasts, even though I talk <laughs> about a lot of pop culture that's not comic books and genre movies. You know, I always do Oscar mm-hmm. roundups and, you know, like some of my favorite movies last year, Hunt for the Wilder People, the account, are, are, you know, non-genre movies. Um, and uh, But I'm also not quite nerdy enough for the hardcore nerdy podcasts, right? Like, I've read comic books in recent years, but it's only a recent development since I was a kid that now in the last few years. And it's usually for like research purposes leading up to um, to movies. I really want to thank you about the Batgirl revelation because I'm really enjoying all the Batgirl that I've been reading and plan on yeah. keep checking it out. The Wonder Woman comics, while awesome, it just aren't, it's not as quite as compelling, at least what's going on right now. Um, uh, and, and, you know, I, I also urge people to check out Image Comics and other indies, which have some really, really interesting um, characters and storylines and so forth. So I have one mm-hmm. quick observation and one quick question, and then I want to uh, you to give a plug to uh, NovaStream in your work there um, as we head on out. So my f- observation, which I meant to say earlier, was you said you only made one prediction uh, that you know that you have on record or whatever that came true. But I want to give you credit for Batgirl because if you go <laughs> Brittany's uh, YouTube page in like the third week of March when you're doing a reaction to the Justice League trailer, you make an offhand comment about, oh, wouldn't it be great to have a Batgirl movie? And then you're kind of, you know, and I know that's not technically a, a, a uh, prediction, but considering the announcement came a week later and you had no foreknowledge, do you remember this? I, I do, but the thing is, I said it would never happen. So it's kind but, of like but that was almost like reverse. Work. That was almost like reverse psychology, right? Like you were willing yeah, into the world. Bit. Yeah. So I well, think that I just, was great. I keep willing all of the superhero females to get on the big screen. Like, you do. Oh, there's going to be some really good, good Gotham City sirens. I feel like that's going to be good. Yes. I've got positive, positive feelings. Send them out into the world. <laughs> yeah, and I definitely want to talk as we get closer to background on some of these other properties, and definitely Justice League. Um, as we get closer, would love to have you back on. My quick question, um, and uh, before you do your plug, is um, what's your favorite thing in the Marvel universe right now, or or more specifically, like you know, what's your favorite Marvel character on screen, or or and or what are you looking forward to coming out of Marvel that's coming up? Gee, well, um, the most recent Marvel film I saw was Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. And I really enjoyed that. I really like the Guardians. Um, and in just taking this back to Batgirl with the, the more recent comics being so full of pops of color and stuff, you can really see yep. that how it works with Guardians of the Galaxy, how you can take that kind of style, those um, the, the strong uh, music and colors and stuff. And you could really put that with Batgirl as well for something completely different for the DCU film films. Uh, I think Guardians is definitely up there with some of my favorite favorite films i i gotta i gotta do a shout out to chris hemsworth because a his last name is very similar to my name and um b because he's australian i mean all australians are amazing go margot robbie as well and c thor is maybe the highest level of difficulty of the main avengers because it's such a bizarre character and because uh, unlike chris evans who is captain america in real life and unlike um, Robert Downey Jr., who is Tony Stark in real life. Chris Hemsworth is actually not Thor in real life. No, he's got um, great acting ability. And if you wanted to see him as a very young actor, I'm pretty sure he's been on an Australian television series called Saddle Club, which is about uh, young women who ride horses. And he was like a stable hand or something. So it's all drama and stuff, which was fun. Or even Home and Away, you'll find him on that one. 
Well, he also has one of the most memorable short um, in, uh, performances as George Kirk, Chris Pine, <laughs> uh, Chris Pine's um, Captain Kirk's father in the first 10 yeah. minutes of the 09 reboot where he has to basically give up his life to save his wife and unborn child in, in, in a very heroic way where you almost don't recognize him because his hair is short and he looks so young. Um, is mm-hmm. a really, a really effective scene, um, an affecting scene in what I consider mm-hmm. one of the best sci-fi movies of all time, the 09 nine star trek reboot um that kind of made again like you were saying star trek it made star trek accessible again or maybe for the first time by making it fast-paced and character-based and not focused on all the tech babble and so forth and i'm just very impressed with hemsworth and i think because of taika waititi coming in and making thor more fun and more colorful and connecting it with the guardians and so forth i really hope that hemsworth and marvel realize that thor has potential going forward i think chris evans you know has done everything he can with cap i I think Robert Downey Jr. is probably ready to move on after the Avengers oh, movies. Yeah, yeah. But I think of the major characters, I feel pretty strongly that there's a chance that Hemsworth will stay on for more Thor movies because there's so much territory to mine there, especially as they go more cosmic. So yeah, I'm glad for that shout out. Um, are you excited for uh, Black Panther and or Captain Marvel or you just don't sort of know enough about those properties? Um, I really liked, uh, there was a motion comic on um, on television Gee, back in 2012, it was actually on ABC, I think, so Australian Broadcasting Company here, uh, of the Black Panther. And I thought that was really fun. I love how he's actually, he has married Storm from the X-Men in the yes, comics, which is as, interesting. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but I'm not really excited about that movie. I'm kind of excited about Captain Marvel, I guess, because Brie Larson is, is really good from what I've heard. But actually, I really liked... Um, that I what I really want to see more of in Marvel is how they addressed the relationship between Nebula and Gamora in Guardians of the Galaxy. That was the best part of the and movie, how, hands down. Oh, I, yeah. I, going into it, I love Zoe Saldana. I love Karen Gillan. That, I was prepared for that. I was hoping they would, but that was an even deeper and cooler portrayal of those two than I yeah. could have hoped for. That was my favorite thing of, of that movie, hands down. Mm. And then how Nebula's growth from the first movie and I loved how she came back I wasn't even sure she was going to come back because I was kind of distinct dis- well because it's not DC I didn't watch many of the trailers I just knew I wanted to see the movie um, but to have her come back and to have that relationship between sisters where it's just like yes this is the horrible situation we grew up with, but I really just wanted a sister. Can I give you a non-spoiler uh, prediction that I feel pretty good about based on the comics involving Nebula? Yeah, let's record another prediction. Go for it. Well, this isn't mine. I mean, you just have to read the comics. But in more than one inter- um, version, she kills Thanos. Ooh. So, but I don't think that's the reason they kept her. I think she was supposed to die in the first movie, but they loved her performance so much that James Gunn mm. wrote in to keep her, hoping to do Guardians. And obviously, you know, they they uh, they yeah. greenlit Guardians 2 three days into Guardians 1, and they greenlit Guardians 3 before Guardians 2 even came out. So they, they really like what James Gunn's doing. And Nebula is definitely in, in the Infinity War movies. And I don't know if she's going to mm. kill Thanos or be killed by Thanos, but she's going to be right up in that action with Gamora. In saying that, though, um, Nebula may have taken down Thanos, but Squirrel Girl has as well. Yes. So let's bring Anna, Anna Kendrick oh, in, and we'll all be happy. And if she wins the day, I'll be so happy. No, Galactus, I think, is the only... Galactus is the only character that's more powerful than Squirrel Girl in the Marvel Universe, I think. 
Because <laughs> Squirrel Girl can literally do anything and change anything in certain interpretations. If Anna Kendrick ended up being the most powerful superhero in the galaxy, I would lose my shit to an unbelievable degree, matched only by Heli Steinfeld playing Batgirl. It really would be good. And I think even if it's like a, a poor B-grade film with just really... Uh, I think maybe there should be some leaked footage. It, it worked for Deadpool. Yeah. Let's get some leaked footage of Squirrel Girl. Come on. Yeah. We'll get this film started. Well, she loves superheroes. On the um, the press tour for The Accountant with Affleck, she did, uh, they did a bit. Uh, it was on MTV, I think, in a dual, dual interview where she was dressed up as Robin in like a handmade suit that she put together yeah. to like keep and she was giving Affleck not so subtle hints to like put her in the Batman movies or whatever so and she said she wants to be Squirrel Girl so I mean she's a huge box office draw men love her women love her uh, you know if they could find a way to do it I think it's gonna happen so cool mm-hmm. awesome well this has been great I want to definitely uh, give you some room here to talk about Nova Stream and plug it and also where to reach uh, you t- on the uh, interwebs yeah, sure. So, guys, um, if you wanted to see more of what I do and what my team do here in Australia, if you go to the Novastream Network, I'll give you the website. It's um, novastreamnetwork.com. You'll come across our online magazine, which has movies, TVs and streaming, games, uh, podcasts, a little bit of a uh, separate section on Marvel and DC Comics as well. We have a monthly magazine, which we uh, get out around the side of every month as well. We have a Facebook page where you can search for us and find us there. Our Twitter handle is NovastreamAU, um, and the Instagram handle is the same, NovastreamAU. But if you wanted to catch more of me, you can find me on YouTube as BritGirl. I do have a my own website, which is a, um, a collection of everything from Novastream, my own stuff, and even a, a magazine I used to uh, help out called The Pop Culturist, which is more Melbourne-based. So my site is brittanyhoweth.wordpress.com so there's just a collection of things there but yeah find me on youtube uh, under the handle brit girl and yeah enjoy some pop culture stuff there awesome well, I'm so glad uh, this this worked because I, I, I distinctly remember watching your videos and just being like, I really need to have this girl on. <laughs> like, I just had a feeling. And, and yes, I'm biased by the red hair. Um, but, oh, I mean, uh, red hair is, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, we, we run the world. Just thanks. Sorry, guys. And actually, Joss Whedon has a quote uh, because he's also a redhead. Um, mm. He has a quote and he says, when in doubt, trust the redhead. Oh, yeah. You can look it up. He said it. (laughs) (laughs) So we literally have maybe the greatest comic book movie director who's a redhead directing a redhead in one of the most underrated and great comic books out there. Brittany, there is some hope to this world. Oh, absolutely. And it's all on the shoulders of the redheads. Yep. So awesome. <laughs> Guys, check out Nova Stream. This is all going to be in the copy. It'll be very easily accessible, um, both on the SoundCloud page, iTunes downloads, and the podcast, on my Facebook page, Twitter, and so forth. Thank you again, Brick Girl. Um, and uh, we wish you the best of luck. Hopefully have you on again soon. And the Bizzlecast is out. Bad girl, bad girl.